Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. That is what the president saw as well, Chuck, because Acosta's defense was awkward in the extreme. Mm-hmm. It was not a vigorous defense as we've seen. He was a lawyer up the there, West. actually. It, it, whether. It, but he was misstating the case. Right, but he was acting, he was being very lawyerly about it. There wasn't the Brett Kavanaugh, go get on the libs moment, which of course is what the president would prefer, right. which is, it doesn't matter what the facts are, bulldoze your way through it, right? That is the Trump style of... of Does it matter that he no longer has any Hispanic in the cabinet? <sighs> Should... Is that this is going to be the reason Hispanics don't support this president? I mean, I mean, you look at the census. I will say this: when you combine the census fight and these and 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 his um, gloating about ice raids, I know he does this for base base stoking and base taking care of. We keep saying this, but how many different ways does the Republican Party want to alienate Hispanics? I mean, this feels like. I mean, Pete Wilson would blush at, at this. When you think about what happened in 1994 in California, the famous Prop 187 that basically turned California from a swing state to a blue state because of the way the Republican Party was seen as the party that was against the Hispanics former governor, and against former immigration. Senator Pete Wilson, Republican. What, is the, what do we think the Hispanic vote's going to look like in a decade? By party. I'm so, with what's happening. This may short-term allow the president to keep that base fired up. But the long-term damage to the Republican Party with this, it just looks like a targeted campaign to alienate Hispanics away from the Trump version of the Republican Party. Because I felt like uh, some of the stories were a little overprint. Uh, uh, and as I explained to uh, my fellow presidents, uh, under U.S. law, you know, we admit a certain number of refugees from all around the world based on some fairly narrow criteria. Uh, and typically, refugee status is not granted just based on uh, economic need or uh, because a family lives in a bad neighborhood or poverty. Uh, it's typically defined uh, fairly narrowly. You have a state, for example, that was targeting a political activists uh, and they need uh, to uh, get out of the country uh, for fear of prosecution or even death. There may be some narrow circumstances uh, in which uh, there is a humanitarian or refugee status that a family might be eligible for. If that were the case, it would be better for them to be able to apply in country rather than take a very dangerous journey all the way up uh, to Texas uh, to make those same claims. Uh, but I, I think it's important to recognize that uh, that would not necessarily accommodate a large number of additional migrants. Uh, what's more important is going to be for us to be able to um, uh, find the kinds of solutions. Both and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 16th of July, year of our Lord, 2019. And by that into you can tell, that's, uh, oh, Jesus, Chuck Todd. I got a couple Chuck Todds today, and that's Obama. Yeah. Those are Obama. Obama talking about why they can't be under here under asylum. Remember, at this point in Obama's presidency, he is he had deported more people than Trump had. So, 
I wanted to start off with that as we go through our crazy. So today we're going to do some Ice Raid stuff. AOC and Tlaib at the Ice Hearing. We got uh, Ben Shapiro. We got some social media nuggets. Yeah, this is some good stuff. And uh, then we got our hate tweets. Oh, social media. Yeah, the social media forum. Sorry, I kind of said that wrong. And then we got hate tweets and news and social media nuggets. So um, I, I start this just unbelievably surprised that progressives and Democrats are going to really fall on their sword over ice rates. Anybody with an IQ above a potato who isn't part of the Democratic Party, this isn't about racism, this is about laws. If you want to change the laws, then you legislate and change the laws. These are federal laws being enforced, and every one of these people, they're not good people. It's not like they're going and getting a little girl, her mommy's working four jobs to put her through grade school, and all the horror stories we hear. These are people that are criminals, A, and B have been on a retainer to be deported for a long time. So this is not, we're not rounding people up. These are not brown shirts and Nazis and concentration camps. This is federal law that every president's ever done. But they really think they can bake on it. And it started with the ICE hearings. So let's do a little violent left. <laughs> The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. The level of cruelty and harshness here is really um, immeasurable. But that is the point. The point is the cruelty. And you know what, though? I'm, I'm tired of and that conversation. Is, and 2,000? That's a tiny, tiny fraction of 1%. It is purely symbolic to show that they're the tough guy and they're getting people out so his voters see that but he's Heather, doing that. It's also becoming purely symbolic for us to sit here day after day after day after <laughs> well, day after day yeah. with all these documents, all these statistics and say the cruelty is the point. Yeah. To what end? I mean, where are the Democrats? Why aren't we marching on these facilities? Yeah, I think what the Trump administration will say is that these are all folks that they're targeting with deportation orders already. So this is not what's happening at the border where somebody shows up for asylum and they get put in a cage and separated from their children. This is these are people who've been adjudicated. And so what the Trump administration, Catherine, will say is that you must have law and order. And if you have been adjudicated to be here unlawfully, you must leave. And I think that that's something that does resonate with voters, and voters certainly understand. But, of course, the devil's in the details, as we've all seen, because they haven't done this in any way that has seemed streamlined or often humane. Well, and if you look at the uh, the data on who's being detained, the most serious criminals, detentions of the most serious criminals, has, has actually fallen under this administration. Detention of... 
people who have either much lesser crimes or have no crime at all other than unlawful status, their numbers have shot up. So, you know, for all of the talk of law and order and getting the bad hombres out and all of that, they're being very indiscriminate and they're just creating a climate of fear. These are people with deportation orders already. So in other words, they've been adjudicated, okay? So they are here unlawfully, as opposed to people who have been showing up and seeking asylum, which is legal, okay? However, optically, I'm not sure what the difference is because we have seen for the past months that these deportation centers are full. They're full, they're, they're beyond capacity. People are being kept in overcrowded cages in inhumane conditions. Agents have expressed apprehensions about arresting babies and young children. Officials have said they're still concerned about how to pull this off and they're still concerned about people who might be affected. Yes, the optics of this have the the threat of being really bad for the administration. We saw the family separations just about a year ago and how bad that was for the administration. You saw both Democrats and Republicans come out to condemn that. Now you have the president sort of pushing forward with uh, uh, what could be a pretty harsh-looking deportation force going in to families, going into communities, going in and deporting people who haven't necessarily committed violent crimes while they are here, but they have deportation orders, and that may include families that are also going to be separated because maybe the children are here and they're American citizens and the parents happen to be uh, undocumented immigrants. And if that happens and if that is shown publicly in local communities, it could really present bad optics for the president, showing himself to be someone who continues to separate families who, even though they have deportation orders, aren't necessarily causing crime in the community, aren't necessarily violent criminals. We've seen previous administrations try to focus uh, on deporting people who have committed additional crimes after getting here. It seems like President Trump is looking at deporting people who, deporting families who haven't necessarily committed additional crimes. The president has no problems doing everything he can to, to terrorize undocumented people, saying, well, they shouldn't come because it's illegal. No, it is not illegal to seek so, asylum. So, you know, here's another outrage for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are reports today that Trump intends to move forward with his immigration raids targeting migrant families this weekend. I thought it was supposed to be gangs coming from these places, not families with children. He's going to, you know, raid these people's houses and what have you. It's very reminiscent of uh, Nazi Germany, just saying. I know you're not supposed to make that connection, but I've been around long enough and I've read enough to know that this is very similar to what happened to the Jews. Go in and take them out of their houses. What are the Democrats going This evening, federal authorities are preparing to begin a nationwide roundup of 2,000 undocumented immigrants on Sunday. As NBC's Gabe Gutierrez reports, the move is prompting waves of fear. Tonight, two senior Homeland Security officials tell NBC News that nationwide arrests of undocumented immigrants are scheduled to start Sunday, conducted by Immigration and Customs Enforcement in at least 10 major cities, including Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, and New York. ICE won't comment on enforcement operations. Across the country today, swift outrage. Several protesters arrested in Buffalo, New York. Tonight, those possible ICE raids sowing fear across America. As reported by the New York Times, the roundups would target some 2,000 undocumented people on deportation lists. They'd reportedly begin Sunday in as many as 10 major American cities about three weeks after President Trump warned this could happen. The result, near panic in some places. He says people in this community are worried about the raids, which will include collateral deportations. In other words, family members and friends of the targeted immigrants who are there when ICE arrives could also be arrested by ICE and deported. 
Police departments in Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Oakland will not help with the raids. I've personally spoken with ICE leadership in Chicago and voiced my strong objection. By continuing to fight for the citizenship question, does President Trump achieve his intended purpose here? A chilling effect on the communities responding to the census. Oh, completely. But he does that by, you know, jailing babies at the border and, and, and threatening ICE raids every 15 minutes. All of this is part of this overall plan, this overall hostility to non-white people in America. Now, whether it's through the census, whether it's through threatening raids, the president's overall goal is to say, look, if you don't look like a certain kind of white person, I don't necessarily want you to feel comfortable. If you are not a Republican supporter, I don't. Do they think anybody's actually buying this? I mean, the media was in full-fledged stupid mode. New York Times, thousands are targeted as ICE prepare raid undocumented migrant families. That thing's getting lengthy. I mean, this is basically, how horrible is this? That was front page. Mexico arrests two Soros employees for human trafficking in relationship to the caravans. Yeah, that was not. Another story that was covered... There's a framed photo of Tommy Lahren hanging in the Border Patrol headquarters. That was a huge story. What was not? Trump called Oakland mayor a disgrace for revealing ICE raids. Then he did the same thing. This is what they're saying. She went and tried to help people. Once again, we did this last year. This is, I mean, this is the thing about it that just cracks me up. We are repeating, man. It is like repeats since 2016. Every time some ice raids get up, because you have to report that kind of shit, lefty Democrats take it to the streets. Lefty mayors and politicians try to help these poor illegal aliens. That's their name. Where in any other country in the world you'd be kicked the fuck out. They want to give them free health care and everything. AOC, we are here for you. And New York City, it's time to come together. We'll be holding Know Your Rights canvases tonight and tomorrow. Help our neighbors. Today is from 6.30 to 8.30. You can also volunteer for your Know Your Rights canvases tomorrow, 4 to 7. Volunteer here. All are welcome. Over 200 languages spoken in New York 14. You all are the best. Are to know your training rights. Canvases is filled up, so we're adding a third one. Come get the rules. Get the rules. Here's some more of it. I got a rebuttal and then AOC with her fake crocodile tears. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I was sorry. I was, for a moment, I was, you ever have one of those dreams? Yeah, you know, I thought we've lived in movies about this. You have a dream that you wake up and you're back in school. You're back in high school. For me, it was back with Miss McCall's class in North Hall High School, government, American government class. And it's the proper role of government and the different checks and balances and, you know, what is Congress's role and what's the president's role and what's the judiciary's role. We can stop this hearing right now because the chairman just laid out all the congressional routes and avenues that Congress has to it. And we're going to have a time, and I'm glad the panel's here. Y'all are great folks. You've got, you've got scholarly work. We're going to hear some you know, wonderful things. But we've stopped right here. The problem is we're just dragging this on. It's not that you want to come to impeachment. The, pre- the chairman talked about impeachment. If that's what you want to do, then that's the part. We don't need to discuss, is this a constitutional right of Congress to do impeachment? That is exactly what Congress is right to do. The constitutional processes are very well addressed in the Constitution and in our processes. But instead, we come here today 
to have another almost impeachment hearing, but not an impeachment hearing. We want to get facts. We want to do this. No, we're just, we're just waiting on and on. I'm trapped back in ninth grade. Miss McCall was a wonderful teacher, but I don't want to go back through it again. This is black and white. We know this problem here. So what are we not doing? Instead of this morning at 9 o'clock on a Friday on a fly-out day when we are uh, actually, the chairman and I have a bill on the floor here in just a little bit that actually touches real people's lives in New York uh, from the 9-11 fund, which is a very valid thing that we need to be doing. Yesterday we spent this entire committee time arguing over subpoenas and the discussion on the border, but yet why wouldn't we use this 9 o'clock uh, time to actually have a markup of actual immigration bills such as mine that addresses border issues. Now, you may disagree with what I propose, but that's what markups are for. That's what actually is taking this time. And you have a bill. Put your bills up. Let's actually get to actually solving real issues instead of having theoretical college discussions on what is Congress's power. If we don't know what Congress's power is now, this hearing's not going to help us. In fact, it's ridiculous. Legislation. I agree with the chairman. The chairman talked about election which actually the Mueller report actually found, election interference. Why aren't we putting those bills forward instead of having our authority taken over by the House Admin Committee on election bills because they don't want to run it through here? Let's solve problems. Process. Here's our biggest thing from yesterday. And maybe this is it, is what the process is. We know what the process is. The, the majority just can't find their way to figure out what they want to do with that process. And so next week we have Robert Mueller coming in here, and the whole bottom row is disenfranchised for the most part. I guess there's some more negotiations going on. I've read that in the media. Maybe I need to call Chairman Schiff and make sure that that was okay because they were undoubtedly driving the ship because they all get to talk next week. My side doesn't, and neither does the Democratic side get to talk. It disenfranchises Florida. It disenfranchises North Dakota. It disenfranchises everyone. But instead of that, we're doing this. It, it, it just, frankly, boggles the mind. But I will say this. If there's anybody on this committee, and there are very wonderful people on both sides of this committee who are very, very intelligent. And you can ask your questions today, and we can talk about the constitutional processes, and you've got some great folks here to, to talk to you about it. But in all due respect, we know what the constitutional process is here. We just want to dance around it so we can keep another round of stories going that the Judiciary Committee is in pursuing and harassment and doing what it needs to do to make sure this administration is held accountable because we don't like him. The economy is good, life's going better, and we don't like it because we don't like the November 16th election. That's all this is about. We found that out again yesterday. We were going to find it out again this morning. So for everybody who didn't get to the wonderful ability to be in Miss McCall's ninth grade American government class at North Hall High School, this may be your opportunity. Get your horn books out. Get your study books out. This is going to be a constitutional process of what we already know is our processes. But we're going to have some experts tell us what those processes are. Mr. Chairman, there's a lot of things you could be calling today. This isn't one of them. Why don't we actually take up real legislation to fix the border crisis, to fix the issues that we all talk about up here? Instead, we have hearings. Our body is to actually legislate. You and I have legislated before. Let's start legislating and stop the show. But as again, the popcorn's cooking. It's time, as I've always said, let the show begin. I what I'm saying, this is not the only paper where we've given the secretary numerous options to secure the border and save lives. And so the recommendation 
Of the many that you recommended, you recommended family separation. I recommend a zero tolerance. Which includes family separation. The same as is whenever a U.S. citizen parent gets arrested when they're with a child. Zero tolerance was interpreted as the policy that separated children from their If parents. I get arrested for DUI and I have a young child in a car, I'm going to be separated. When I was a police officer in New York and I arrested a father for domestic violence, I separated that Mr. father from Mr. Holman, with all due respect, legal asylees are not charged with any crime. When you're in the country illegally, it's violation 8 United States Code 1325. Seeking asylum is legal. If you want to seek asylum, you go to the port of entry, do it the legal way. The Attorney General of the United States has made that clear. Okay. These egregious and cruel conditions and policies are not accidental. Mr. Holman, during your time as acting ICE Director, deterrence was the order of the day for you. The memo bears that out, exactly what you planned for. The Trump administration claimed they had no choice but to rip children from their parents because they were criminally prosecuting the parents pursuant to zero tolerance policy. Again, and policies that the administration created and that you, Mr. Holman, accepted, enforced, and championed, as we've seen. Let me remind everyone that the Trump administration tried to ban asylum seeking and started the process of metering, which then prevents people from coming through legal ports of entry. That exacerbated the crisis. People are desperately waiting months just to get in line and be granted the inalienable rights to due process. Mr. Holman, you have said that most immigrants are, quote, not criminals other than the criminal act that they do when they enter the country illegally. That is why I think we ought to revisit decriminalizing desperation striking sections 1325 and 1326 of Title VIII of the U.S. Code, the statutes that the administration has leveraged to separate thousands of children from their families. Mr. Holman, do you understand that the consequences of separation of many children will be lifelong trauma and carried across generations? Have we not learned from the internment of Japanese Americans? Mr. Holman, I'm a father. Do you have children? How can you possibly allow this to happen under your watch? Do you not care? Is it because these children don't look like children that are around you? I don't get it. Have you ever held a deceased child in your arms? First of all, your comments are disgusting. I've served my, co your I've served my country. I've served well, my country for 34 I find, years. I find your this is, this is out of control. Well. I've served my country for 34 years. And yes, I held a five-year-old boy in my arms that, in back of that tractor trailer. I knelt down beside him and said a prayer for him because I knew what his last 30 minutes of his life were like. And I had a five-year-old son at the time. What I've been trying to do my 34 years serving my nation is to save lives. So for you to sit there and insult my integrity and my love for my country and for, the, and for children, that's why this whole thing needs to be fixed. And you're the member we of Congress. We agree on that. Fix it. We agree on that. But I disagree. But I also oh, no, disagree oh, well, with your characterization of immigrants as criminality. Gentlemen's time has expired. Mr. It's Mr. my time now. Mr. Chairman. It's my time. Well, I just, the gentleman ripped off about seven different questions designed to go at the character of Mr. Holman, and Mr. Holman should be given a chance to respond. It was, it was ridiculous, the way he just rattled them all off and wouldn't let him respond to them. Let me say this. I, I understand that, 
But I'm, first of all, I'm going to have civility in my hearings. All right? No, well, I want, no, 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 I I've agree. got, no, I, agree. I, I have the floor. I understand, and I agree with I, you. I'm going to have civility. That's why, that's why I was banging, so that we could hear each person speak. I have been very courteous and very kind. Now, Mr. Holman, do you have something to say? No one in this room has seen what I've seen in my 34-year career. Very well. No one has experienced what I've experienced. I've saw many dead bodies coming across this border. And you want to talk about the memo? This memo is one option to stop death. Not just about enforcing the law, stop death. If you want to legalize illegal immigration, good luck with that, because it's going to get a hell of a lot worse on that border. If, if you say, well, okay, from now on, there will be no consequence, no deterrence. It's not illegal to come to this country illegally. More families will come. 31 percent women would be raped. More children would die. We're a nation of laws. If you don't like it, sir, change it. You're the legislator. I'm the executive branch, and I've served my country honorably for 34 years, and I will not sit here and have anybody say that I don't care about children because you're not the same color as my children. Thank you very much. It says the official recommendation. There were three different options presented. The third included the option for family separation. This initiative would pursue prosecution of all amenable adults, including those presenting with a family unit. Mr. Holman, your name is on this. Is this correct? Yes, I signed that memo. So you are the author of the family separation policy? I am not the author of this memo. You're not the author, but you signed the memo? Yes, a, so, zero, a zero tolerance memo. So you provided the official recommendation to Secretary Nielsen on family, for the United States to pursue family separation? I gave Secretary Nielsen numerous recommendations on how to secure the border and save lives. But it says here that you, re you gave her numerous options, but the recommendation was option three, family but, separation. What I'm saying, this is not the only paper where we've given the Secretary numerous options to secure the border and save lives. And so the recommendation of the many that you recommended, you recommended family separation. I recommend a zero tolerance. Which includes family separation. The same as is whenever a U.S. citizen parent gets arrested when they're with a child. Zero tolerance was interpreted as the policy that separated children from their If parents. I get arrested for DUI and I have a young child in a car, I'm going to be separated. When I was a police officer in New York and I arrested a father for domestic violence, I separated that Mr. father from Holman, his family. Mr. Holman, with all due respect, legal asylees are not charged with any crime. When you're in the country illegally, it's violation 8 United States Code 1325. Seeking asylum is legal. If you want to seek asylum, you go through the port of entry, do it the legal way. The Attorney General of the United States has made that clear. Okay. Mr. Chair, the, the, the memo is, um, is submitted to the record for review. Uh, Inspector General Costello, one last thing. Is there Thank you very much, Mr. Costello-Cortez. Um, Mr. Chair, I would like to be sworn okay. in. I'm sorry? I would like to be sworn in. Oh, all right. We usually don't require uh, a swearing in, uh, but you want to be sworn in? Fine. Yes. All right. Okay. Do you stand up, please? Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you are about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God? I do. You may be seated. Let the, let the uh, record reflect that Ms. Ocasio-Cortez answered in the affirmative. For more children to suffer and die in this way, Maria could be here with us, but she is not. Next month, she would have been three years old. That is a very painful 
they forgive because my happy with me and show her what I feel and say what I want for her, I have no words to describe that. You know, I remember when doggone Republicans tried to grandstand like this, the media went bonker crazy shit on it. But it wasn't just AOC with her fake tears. It was also Tlaib. Mr. Speaker, we do have a crisis at our border. It is one of morality. As we have seen this current strategy unfold, intentional and cruelly created by the Trump administration, dead set on sending a hate-filled message that those seeking refuge are not welcome in America, in our America, and that the rule of law, human rights, will not, be, will not protect them here. Instead, Mr. S- Chairman, it's a dangerous ideology that rules our nation right now. I've been so deeply haunted by the un- unforgettable, unforgettable image of a four-year-old boy coming up to me through a glass door of a cell he was in with a number of other children asked me in Spanish where his papa was and slid a very small board to me so I could write something on it. It was like a dry board. I'm not sure what he needed before an agent asked me to stop engaging him. Chairman, again, bringing those who can't be here into this room, I asked my colleagues to see a drawing from one of the children in the cages, in the cells, up there, and I want you to not look away. I ask you and beg you not to look away. But the suffering in these illegal and immoral camps isn't just limited to those children. Something I learned, Mr. Chairman, is that I was able to travel to Clint, Texas, and meet face-to-face mothers, fathers, grandparents, who are suffering, ripped away from their families, not knowing if they ever see their children and loved ones again. I won't forget the father from Brazil who held on to his son with tears in his eyes as he told me in English he just wants his son to be an American boy. He said his wife, he was with his wife, his eight-year-old daughter and teenage boy in a tent-like space outside of Station One. He said he has been there for four days. I won't forget Daisy, the grandmother who had a red ribbon on her wrist with the name of the medication she needs, who said she had been in detention for 40 days. And she hadn't seen her grandson, who was mentally impaired, since being separated from him when they arrived. I wonder every day where she is now and whether or not she's hungry. The fear in their eyes won't be forgotten, Mr. Speaker, but the suffering in these illegal camps cannot be forgotten. Imagine traveling thousands of miles in grueling and dangerous conditions because you have no other option only to be separated from your family, from your children, thrown into overcrowded cages, denied a shower, toothbrush, and yes, Mr. Chairman, drink water out of the toilet if you're thirsty. Now imagine doing that while pregnant. In Clint, I met Betty's, a woman pregnant with her first child. She smiled at me, and I instantly connected with her. She had a pink hoodie on, and I instantly just went towards her, even though they told us not to talk to anybody, Mr. Chairman. I couldn't not go to somebody that's smiling at me. And I said, hello, and she said, hello, in English. 
And um, I love that she felt confident to speak to me in the broken English. And she said, she found out, I said, how long have you been here? She said, 27 days. And she said, I'm with a child. And she glowed. She was so happy because she had not known she was pregnant until she came here. But by showing up, Mr. Chairman, she is free now. The following day, she is free now. And we are following the asylum process. And she is now at home. I spoke to her last week. She's so happy. She said, you will be part of my family forever. Mr. Chairman, it needs to be noted. And then, to make matters worse, it was Omar. The ACLU has put together a guide for your rights. If you or someone you know is stopped and questioned by ICE, read up on your rights and then share it with your friends and family. These raids will dehumanize immigrants and tear families apart. It does not make our country any stronger. It'll only traumatize children and destroy lives. Make our country less safe. If you're an undocumented immigrant, please know that you are my thoughts. These fucking people, man. And, and here we go again. Another montage. During her hearing, it was a crisis. Before this, it was not a crisis. Mr. Speaker, we do have a crisis at our border. It is one of morality. As we have seen this current strategy unfold, intentional and cruelly created by the Trump administration, dead set on sending a hate-filled message that those seeking refuge are not welcome in America, in our America and that the rule of law, human rights, will not, be, will not protect him here. Instead, Mr. S Chairman, it's a dangerous ideology that rules our nation right now. I've been so deeply haunted by the un unforgettable, unforgettable image of a four-year-old boy coming up to me through a glass door of a cell he was in with a number of other children, asked me in Spanish where his papa was, and slid a very small board to me so I could write something on it. It was like a dry board. I'm not sure what he needed before an agent asked me to stop engaging him. Chairman, again, bringing those who can't be here into this room, I asked my colleagues to see a drawing from one of the children in the cages, in the cells, up there, and I want you to not look away. I ask you and beg you not to look away. But the suffering in these illegal and immoral camps isn't just limited to those children. Something I learned, Mr. Chairman, is that I was able to travel to Clint, Texas, and meet face-to-face -face mother, face -face mothers, fathers, grandparents who are suffering, ripped away from their families, not knowing if they ever see their children and loved ones again. I won't forget the father from Brazil who held on to his son with tears in his eyes as he told me in English, he just wants his son to be an American boy. He said his wife, he was with his wife, his eight-year-old daughter and teenage boy in a tent-like space outside of Station One. He said he has been there for four days. I won't forget Daisy, the grandmother who had a red ribbon on her wrist with the name of the medication she needs, who said she had been in detention for 40 days. And she hadn't seen her grandson, who was mentally impaired, since being separated from him when they arrived. I wonder every day where she is now and whether or not she's hungry. The fear in their eyes won't be forgotten, Mr. Speaker, but the suffering in these illegal camps 
cannot be forgotten. Imagine traveling thousands of miles in grueling and dangerous conditions because you have no other option only to be separated from your family, from your children, thrown into overcrowded cages, denied a shower, toothbrush, and yes, Mr. Chairman, drink water out of the toilet if you're thirsty. Now imagine doing that while pregnant. In Clint, I met Betty's, a woman pregnant with her first child. She smiled at me. And I instantly connected with her. She had a pink hoodie on. And I instantly just went towards her, even though they told us not to talk to anybody, Mr. Chairman. I couldn't not go to somebody that's smiling at me. And I said, hello. And she said, hello in English. And um, I love that she felt confident to speak to me in the broken English. And she said, she found out, I said, how long have you been here? She said, 27 days. And she said, I'm with a child. And she glowed. She was so happy because she had not known she was pregnant until she came here. But by showing up, Mr. Chairman, she is free now. The following day, she is free now. And we are following the asylum process. And she is now at home. I spoke to her last week. She's so happy. She said, you will be part of my family forever. Mr. Chairman, it needs to be noted in This is a manufactured crisis because cruelty, because the cruelty is manufactured. This is a manufactured crisis because there is no need for us to do this. There's no need for us to overcrowd and to detain and under-resource. There is no need for us to arrest innocent people and treat them no differently than criminals when they are pursuing their basic human rights. My God in heaven, man, you can't have it both ways and that the media lets them have it all sorts of ways just disgust me. I mean, you couldn't do this as a conservative. This would not be tolerated as a conservative. It just wouldn't happen. Not in our lifetime. Banny, holy wow, unprepared AOC tries to come at former Ice Holman. She gets eviscerated. That was a rebuttal. I played it first because I wanted to get up front. David Wright. We're doing this again. And so when the women tell me that they are put in a cell and their sink was not working, we test the sink ourselves and the sink was not working, and they were told to drink out of a toilet bowl, I believe them. I believe these women. I believe the canker sores. Blah, blah, shut up. Alex Griswold, do we really literally have to ha have AOC's word on toilet thing? Has there been any reporting to the effect? And no. It's actually the opposite, but she's still lying and going with it. Then her chief of staff, I think the point still stands. I don't think people have to be personally racist or enable a racist system. And the same could be even said of Southern Democrats. I don't believe Sharice is a racist person, but her votes are showing her to be enabled in a racist system. Then the Black Caucus got in. Then Sean King got in. The articles attacked AOC and Justice Dem is infuriating. Net Roots Convention, Ariana Presley is saying the following about the Congressional Black Caucus, which has recently been in spat with AOC and her squad. Presley coming to hit back at criticism for CBC. We don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be brown voices. We don't need any more black voices that don't want to be black voices. Then she comes back, AOC, we have started to sound along the way face recognition technology and uh, blah, blah, blah. Then she came up about 9-11. Listen to this shit. Anybody who's been with the show, did she not do this last year? Isn't it this? It's almost like I had to check myself and make sure it was a new soundbite. The level to which Republicans are 
Republican and conservative groups, whether they are official party apparatuses, sending out emails, calling me and others domestic terrorists, or whether it's Rupert Murdoch and the New York Post printing on the front page to circulate all around New York City an image that is incredibly upsetting and triggering for New Yorkers that were actually there and were actually in the radius that woke up one morning or were in their schools and didn't know if they were going to see their parents at the end of the day to elicit such an image for such a transparently and politically motivated attack on Ilhan, this is, we are getting to the level where, the, where this is an incitement of violence against progressive women of color. And if they can't figure out how to get it back to policy, we need to call it out for what it is, because this is not normal, and this is not a normal level of pro political debate or rhetoric. As, as wild as it can get, sometimes this is something beyond what is normal. Understand, boys and girls, my first thing this morning is maybe I shouldn't do this podcast. I should just pull out last year's podcast. I mean, she mixed it up with everything, just everything. I mean, this thing is insane. It's like the expert witness were testifying how facial recognition and codes racial bias, which is really consequential for making America's more susceptible targeting. I think it's relevant to add an important layer. Why do you think we shouldn't discuss that? Somebody said, so you think that speaking about facts is race baiting? You do realize there's a real problem with racism in the country, right? And these are from black people. But this is what we did before. We've all done this before. We've gone through these hearings. We've gone through facial recognition. But last time it was trans. We've gone through black caucus fights. I mean, why in the name of Zeus's ass crack can't the Democrats... Handle these three assholes. And don't worry, I'll get to Trump's fucking tweet. I'm going to get to that on the back end. But it's a fucking stupid, stupid tweet, but it's not what he said. I mean, I could agree. These bitches should just go the fuck back where they came from. Because if America's so fucked up, why are you here, Omar and Tlaib? Why are you here? And the same goes for AOC. Why do you live here? You're constantly saying, our country sucks the dong. But your solutions make our country suck worse. I had a sound by DHS. He got involved and once again said, this is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. We built this, not them. We enforced the laws, not them. I mean, Peggy Noonan. No conservative. Yeah, I know she was a speechwriter for conservative, but if you watch Meet the Press, she's not a conservative. She is a one-woman committee to re-elect the president. But you can't tell it in the media. You just can't. The media is all in. One more soundbite. One more soundbite. And Tucker Carlson is going to end this stuff. And I know it didn't talk a lot because I it's a repeat. And then we're going to go into what nobody wanted to talk about in the media. Nobody on the Democratic side wanted to talk about it. Their rancor had ICE getting attacked. That didn't make fucking CNN. 
Those racially tinged attacks on Democrats come as President Trump touts a large-scale plan to arrest thousands of undocumented immigrants with final deportation orders. Immigration activists around the country are springing into action to help those threatened by the planned deportation arrests. Some Democrats say publicizing the crackdown is the administration's attempt to instill fear. Leaders in cities where these raids were supposed to happen say the president is purposefully trying to scare these immigrant communities. We know a number of people did not answer their doors. They were coached, essentially, and told not to answer their doors if ICE knocked and didn't have uh, have, have warrants. But immigration advocates, George, tell us that this threat is still not over. Several mayors are defiant, refusing to cooperate. What we are working on is, is doing everything we can to push back against what the Trump administration is doing. Volunteers in North Carolina even patrolled neighborhoods looking for ICE officers. We uh, are out today doing ICE Watch. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Like many of you, we've been watching with amazement and some real alarm as leaders of the Democratic Party day after day attack the country they say they want to govern. It is remarkable, and it's a very new development, by the way. Just a few years ago, even the most liberal Democrats in Congress felt obligated to say patriotic things about America. They may not have felt it, but they said it, and that matters. Now, it's routine to hear Democratic presidential candidates question the basic legitimacy of the United States. Even supposed moderates like Joe Biden join in, and that should worry you. No country can survive being ruled by people who hate it. And we deserve better. For all of our country's flaws, this is still the best place in the world. Most immigrants know that, and that's why they come here. It's also why we've always been glad to have them here. But now there are signs that some people who move here from abroad don't like this country at all. As we told you last night, one of those people now serves in our Congress. In fact, the United States is the kindest, most open-minded place on the planet. The U.S. has done more for other people and received less in return than any nation in history by far. Americans like to help. It makes us feel good. Some of our deepest satisfaction as a country comes from watching penniless immigrants arrive on our shores, buy into our values, and thrive. We call it the American dream, and nothing makes us prouder. It was in that spirit that in 1992, the United States welcomed 10-year-old Ilhan Omar and her family, Omar was born in Somalia, one of the world's poorest countries. He was then ruled by a Marxist military dictatorship. When Omar was six, she and her parents and their six siblings fled a worsening civil war and wound up in a refugee camp in Kenya. They spent four years there until America offered the family asylum here and let them settle in Minneapolis. Omar's father drove a taxi at first, then got a job at the post office working for the government. Omar, meanwhile, grew up free in the world's richest country with all the bounty that that implies. She became a citizen, then went to work at a state university. A few years later, she became a member of Congress, elected by voters who were proud to see an immigrant succeed. Omar is now, at the age of only 36, one of the most powerful women in America. It's an amazing story, really. Only in this country could it have happened. Elon Omar has an awful lot to be grateful for. But she isn't grateful. Not at all. After everything America has done for Omar and for her family, she hates this country more than ever. In a recent piece in the Washington Post, the reporter put it this way, quote, In Omar's version, America isn't the big-hearted country that saved her from a brutal war in a bleak refugee camp. It wasn't a meritocracy that helped her attend college or vaulted her into Congress. 
Instead, it was the country that had failed to live up to its founding ideals, a place that had disappointed her and so many immigrants, refugees, and minorities like her, end quote. If anything, that's an understatement. Amara isn't disappointed in America. She's enraged by it. Virtually every public statement she makes accuses Americans of bigotry and racism. This is an immoral country, she says. She has undisguised contempt for the United States and for its people. Think about that for a minute. Our country rescued Ilhan Omar from the single worst place on earth. We didn't do it to get rich. In fact, it cost us money. We did it because we are kind people. How did Omar respond to the remarkable gift we gave her? She scolded us and called us names. She showered us with contempt. It's infuriating. But more than that, it's also ominous. The United States admits more immigrants than any country on earth, more than a million every year. The Democratic Party demands that we increase that number and admit far more. Okay, Americans like immigrants. But immigrants have got to like us back. That's the key. It's essential. Otherwise, the country falls apart. We made that point last night. We'll continue to make that point because it's true. And it's important to say it out loud, even if no one else is willing to. Needless to say, the left went berserk. They hate it when you say the true things. Ilhan Omar and her allies in Congress immediately demanded that this show be pulled off the air. They didn't rebut what we said, any of our points, or even acknowledge them. They just tried to silence us. That's how they operate. And, of course, they called us racist. On one level, that's amusing, given how absurd the charge is. This show, more than any other show on television, has taken an aggressive position in favor of colorblind equality and against racism, particularly the casual racism of the modern left. We despise the current habit of judging people on the basis of their skin color. It's wrong. We say that virtually every night. Racist? No. We're against racism, adamantly. Omar consistently puts her own race at the center of the conversation. But to us, it's irrelevant. Ayan Hirsi Ali, for example, would, by the standards of identity politics, by Omar's standards, seem to have everything in common with Ilhan Omar. Like Omar, she was born in Somalia, moved to Kenya, and eventually came to this country. Unlike Omar, Ali loves and cares about the United States. She believes our country is superior to the country she came from, and she says that. For saying that, the left despises her. Omar's friend, Linda Sarsour, once tweeted that Ali deserves to be mutilated for her beliefs. So, two Somali immigrants, one among the most impressive people in America, the other among the least. It's not about race. But, of course, Omar and her friends already know that. Nothing they say on the subject of race is sincere. It's all a hustle designed to get them what they want. Omar has made a career of denouncing anyone and anything in her way as racist. That would include virtually all of her political and personal opponents. It includes even inanimate objects like the proposed border wall. That's racist. So is the United States Congress. So is the entire state of North Dakota, she once tweeted. Omar may be from another country, but she learned young that crying racism pays. The bigger question is, who taught her that? She didn't arrive from a Kenyan refugee camp denouncing people as bigots for political gain. She wasn't always a professional victim. That's learned behavior. Unfortunately, she learned it here. So in some ways, the real villain in the Ilhan Omar story isn't Omar herself. It's a group of our fellow Americans. It's our cultural gatekeepers who stoke the resentment of new arrivals and turn them into grievance mongers like Ilhan Omar. The left did that to her and to us. Blame them first.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. With threats of immigration raids in the Denver area this weekend, protesters marched to the ICE facility in Aurora. Started with a clear message, then quickly devolved into a tense situation which included defacing the American flag. Kelly Worthman has been watching this unfold tonight, joins us live with the very latest. Kelly. 
Well, Karen, everything is calm now because everyone has gone home. But earlier tonight, two separate rallies merged here with a shared message to shut down ICE. But when things took a turn one of the organizers thought was dangerous, they shut down what they planned for the rally. This started as a peaceful rally with hundreds marching and chanting to shut down ICE facilities. Not long after the growing crowd gathered outside the center in Aurora, some protesters replaced three flags at the front of the facility with a Mexican flag and an upside down U.S. flag spray painted with abolish ICE. Rally organizers called for protesters to leave the property, but several stayed. That's when organizers told families and those who were gathering peacefully to go home. I'm not against the protest. My commitment to the city when we um, created this Lights for Liberty event was that it would be a peaceful protest and vigil. And if there are people who have crossed over onto federal land and who are not part of our group, but who are protesting and I can't get them to disperse, in a peaceful way and to come back across the line, then I have to think about the safety of the community that was here. And back out here live tonight, you can see now that everyone has left, officials here at the Aurora Ice Center have replaced the protesters' flags with a Colorado state flag and a clean U.S. flag. The Lights for Liberty organization, the one that was behind one of these rallies, say they'll continue to plan rallies until immigrants are reunited with their families. Reporting live in Aurora, Kelly Worthman covering Colorado First. All right, Kelly, thank you. Remember, when Sarah Palin put a bullseye on a district. Her and the Republican Party were blamed for Gabby Gifford. When a nut job for Bernie Sanders shot up a baseball field, the Republican Party was blamed for it, even though he's from Bernie Sanders. We have tiki torch marchers and a guy who's getting bricked in Charlottesville who then freaks the fuck out because he's getting bricked I mean, he's a racist piece of shit, but he was getting bricked, and he freaks and kills a lady. All white people on the planet are blamed for it. Every Democratic National Committee member is pushing for open borders, free health care. You motherfucking white people, give us your money. And nobody's even covering the fact that they took the fucking flag down. It's not the only one. We have three of them. Matt Morano now flying outside IceGov Detention Center in Aurora, upside down, a dirty American flag, Mexican flag, and one with foul language. Approach is still here. Just armed guards are now outside the door, taking the fucking shit down. Yeah. Taking it down. They're not blamed for that. Mm-mm. What do we cover? Vice President Mike Pence toured and spoke with migrant families chilling the Texas border. And we had online, which we're going to cover at the very end, fake Christians. Mike Pence is a Nazi. That was Twitter. Twitter allowed it. The actual two things we'll get to. There was two different ones. Fake Christians. Oh, things Jesus Christ wouldn't say. That was viral. That's what they covered all day. He didn't talk to enough brown people. Or he didn't talk to the right brown people. He didn't look at the brown people. Then we have our man shot, killed after throwing incendiary devices at a Washington state ICE 
Detention Center. Ryan Savander, the Seattle Times of Fox News, are the only people reporting. AG conservative man armed with a rifle and incendiary devices killed while trying to attack an ICE facility in Washington. Are there going to be any conversation about the dangerous rhetoric from the left and the media are leading to violence? You can just imagine the national press coverage if this had been an attack on an abortion clinic. Andy NGO. First tweet in a while. That the terror attack on the ICE facility this morning happened in the Pacific Northwest is not insignificant. Those who are eulogizing him now are Antifa activists calling him a comrade and martyr. Last year was arrested after attacking police. They found him carrying a baton and knife. And then people said, well, why shouldn't Sean King, the wannabe black guy, get blamed for it? His tweet, history has taught us that concentration camps should be liberated. We cannot, should not wait until 2020 with the hope to defeat Trump, to free the children. We should liberate them now by any means necessary. My latest from The Intercept. Then, Steve Gelbaugh, protest plan for ICE office in downtown Atlanta today to shut it down starting at noon. We're live this morning on Action Sunday. Woohoo! Vocal protesters continue to demonstrate outside downtown Atlanta ICE office. They're calling rallying against planned immigration raids, the few that have been reported in Metro Atlanta. This man just handcuffed himself to the fence outside the downtown ICE office as part of the protest against announced immigration raids. Homeland Security police moved protesters who attempted to block an official vehicle from leaving ICE property. The police are now shoving Jews against ICE who are blocking the ICE field office in Atlanta. Never again means putting ourselves between ICE and the people they're trying to hurt. And the police are not going to be on our side. Yeah, that thread went on to they are just like the Nazis and the Gestapo. Then you got people on Twitter, allowed, not removed. If you see an ICE vehicle, do not cut at least two of the wheel stems. This would prevent the vehicle from driving and they can only carry one spare. What kind of Yahoo tweet is this? Think it's least bit smart. Well, then again, we're not dealing with the brightest crayon. Apparently, the kind of Yahoo deletes said tweet when he gets a little attention. He deleted it. Wasn't forced. There are numerous. We need to attack. We need to kill. We need to do everything. CNN. What did they do? Yes, Obama deported more people than Trump, but context is everything. Trump's xenophobic, thus his deportations are for race. So they ran that, but did ABC, NBC, CBS, MSDNC, The New York Times, WAPO, CNN cover this? Hey y'all, we are back out here. It's about 9 o'clock and you can see that another group, this one is about 40 people. They are from Honduras, Guatemala, um, and El Salvador have just, um, they walked up through this path through here. This is a super common path where they would come up and agents and officers were already out here um, waiting for them. They do know this is a super common path where these immigrants cross up from. They did give them water and they're just collecting their belongings and then they'll be going to a processing center. But in there you can see um, some of them have already been taken. You can see that there's some units out there in a, a transport van that's already arrived. Some of them have already been taken out um, and sent to a different location. But the ones that are left, we have three um, people or small children who were traveling alone. So unaccompanied minors were traveling alone. They said that two of them said that their family was already in the United States, in New York and New Jersey. And the other one said that he was just sent by himself. They're pretty young kids. 
and then you have some family units and then just some solo women and some men as well that are on their own so just another quick update for you guys um at this spot there was emt but no one really needed any uh, medical attention all of them seemed to be pretty healthy there was really nothing out of the ordinary in this sense um the ones that i did speak to said that they're coming for a better life they're being violent and looking for work so it's um, pretty much um, the same thing, same standard procedure. Under here, they have lights. Something that has been kind of recent, they've been putting lights out here under this area so that the agents are able to see better, they're able to take them, and they're able to give them water, check out the situation, just kind of assess it a little bit better. So we're gonna be out here for a couple of more hours. And if there is anything similar to this or even more out of the ordinary, I'll go ahead and bring you those updates we're back again in Rincon so in this area is the same place from the 9:30 update but this is not the same group so they just they, that group was taken into the bus they were taken to processing and now another group but this one's a little bit bigger this is about 50 there's about 48 right in this group and in this one you can see there's tiny babies right there that are on the ground in this group in particular there's one pregnant woman let's go show you so the bus to get here already this is a different bus from the first group that was out here i'm gonna walk right behind them so that you can see the line these people the ones that we spoke to central americans as well so a lot in this group are from el salvador and i'm gonna take you here you have tiny tiny kids right and then you do have some a pregnant woman she's about nine months pregnant so she did tell the agent she's gonna deliver in about a week or two for her doctor. So this is gonna be the group. Again, this is a different group from the one from 9.30. It's just a couple of minutes before 11 o'clock here in the same area. That's the new bus. These are different agents from the 9.30 one. And then um, let's take you back this way. Same area from where they passed up on. So in this group, they were all pretty healthy according to the agent. He said that at this time he didn't have to perform anything didn't have to get anyone that was dehydrated or anything of that nature so they seem to be in pretty good health which is always a good thing right so the bus is already here and they're just finishing up before they're going to be taken into the bus taken to processing and then let that process begin how many times can you say process in 30 seconds am i right so yeah this is just the quickest update ever basically what we've been seeing all night and um it's about to end but you can see that it's consistent flow, consistent traffic, nothing is changing much. And this is what is happening out here. That lady witnessed at least 300 people illegally cross our border. She just camped out. Conservative media, Democrats still don't seem to understand Latino voters are obsessed with illegal immigration. We've shown the statistics. The entire country is. Yeah, the entire country. Dave Weigel, Ilhan Omar, closing out a panel on Democrats and foreign policy. I probably love this country more than anyone who was naturally born. I want America to be great, to be America the great. No, you don't. You want open borders? I have a great soundbite. This lady will never be on TV again. She said if Ilhan Omar wasn't in Congress, she'd be a member of the KKK. 
Because that's who she is. This shit is out of control. And it's laying completely on the feet of the media. Twitter, Google, Microsoft, Custom Patrol border agents and ICE agents are going to get killed. It's going to happen before the election. You can bet on it. They have them so ramped up. Twitter, every time you turn around, it's a new Twitter moment. Everything Trump says is racist. I'm about to play, as we segue off, two sound bites. What CNN showed for the social media conference and what Gorka showed from other media who taped it. This is what our media is. Welcome back. We mentioned earlier a heated exchange at the White House yesterday after President Trump's social media summit. Cheryl Cassoni with all the details now. Cheryl. Yeah, that's right, Maria. An intense shouting match happened in the Rose Garden yesterday. Former White House advisor Sebastian Gorka confronted a correspondent for Playboy. Don't be sad. No, I'm just standing around. This is a group of people that are eager for demonic possession. Demonic <laughs> <laughs> You're a journalist, right? That's right. Hey, come this on over here and talk to me, brother. We can go outside and have a long conversation. You're threatening me now in the White House. I'm going to threatening me in the Rose Garden. Get him. You are a punk. You're not a journalist. You're a punk. Well, after all that, the Secret Service had to step in to calm everything down. There's an amazing video. The full video is up on my Twitter feed at Seb Gorka, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A, Raheem Kassam, Human Events, Daily Caller. They've written it up with the full video, not the doctored one that Jim Acosta and others have posted. And you see how this all begins. Number one, the president gave his incredible press conference on the census and the citizenship question with Attorney General Barr. They make the statement, they leave the podium, they walk back into the Oval Office. We are sitting there, guests of the president. We've just come from the social media summit. And this jerk, Brian Kareem, screams at the president as he's leaving, Are you taking any questions? I mean, like a a crazed man. And when he realizes that the president's not taking any questions, so that we can hear it, under his voice, he says, that effing moron. Wow. To the president. In so the White one House. One of us. Yeah. Yeah, in the Rose Garden. In the Rose Garden. In the Rose so Garden. one of us looks at Brian. This is where the tape begins and says, uh, Don't be sad, Brian. This is when Brian Karam of Playboy and CNN points to all of us in the Rose Garden, guests of the president, and says, You are all demonically possessed. That's when I lose it. That's when I recognize this guy from the way he verbally abused Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I stood up and I said, and you call yourself a journalist? And that's when Brian Karim, John, in front of everybody, invites me outside for a fight. I saw that. It was unbelievable. It was like he was a kid in the schoolyard. It was ridiculous. Ridiculous. This This is why when the president says, enemies of the people... With regards to fake news, he nailed it. But the only thing is, I'm really sad, John, that it took me, a legal immigrant to the United States, former deputy of the president, it took me to stand up to these kinds of people. We've had two and a half years of this lunacy and this abuse. 
and it's time that Americans told these non-journalists who they really are. I mean, this Jim Acosta, the scene in the White House Road Guard, all White House press in the back, Trump social media allies in the front. White House officially invited Trump social media allies to sit in the Rose Garden, but other than it was over, West Wing aides did nothing when those social media figures began to verbally abuse reporters. It's not what happened. CNN, that piece of shit, who reports for fucking Playboy, and has already done this before, Brian Karem started a fight because they're so upset that they didn't get the front row seats and that this function even happened. At the end of the day, that's what they are. A bunch of egomaniac liberals who want to get FaceTime, who find everything they can to make clickbait. That's all it is. I mean, it's clickbait. It has no substantive value of where America's going. If you interpret everything to be fucking racist, it's gonna be racist. That's why we played on the show that milk is racist. Actual person articulating that. It's white people juice. These are the laws we have. Enforce them. Social media has laws too. They only enforce it on conservatives. Not on anybody else. That's our country right now. And it really comes down to the simple fact that they don't like that other people get to choose. Other people get to have a voice. That Trump got elected. Conservative people get a voice with him. Especially on the social media thing. They don't like that America, this is the media specifically, won't bend to their will of voting for Hillary. Open borders. I mean, Chuck Todd is fucking out of control. The man is completely out of control. He no longer even tries to be objective. But that Karem video and why I'm doing it, which I'm going to ignore the Shapiro thing. You want to go find it out. Him and Lord Duca had a duke out. and It was entertaining because it was about the same old shit. You know, saying somebody's something and they didn't like that somebody was that way and blah, blah, blah. But when you really break it down, folks, the Karem video totally rolls into what we have. Those are the people who are giving us our news. And they spend all day in their bubbles figuring out new ways to get Democrats what they want and bend America to what it's never been. An open border, lawless country. That's what they want. I mean, we've shown on this show that if you're white and you break the law, they don't say nothing. But if a minority does, well, it's not fair because they're a minority and they're this. Yet we've proven all the racist stuff happens in their fucking neck of the woods. All the transgender killing, their neck of the woods. Actual people who are advocates who say America's a homophobic, transphobic country go down and do TV shows in the South where there's a larger per capita of gay people 
because they get left the fuck alone. I'm sure churches might say something to them, but normal people don't really give a fuck what they do. It's their neck of the woods. They're the ones with the problems. And Omar, Talib, and AOC constantly just fucking the dog with crazy shit. If that hearing had happened and it was a, say it's Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, do you know how that would have played? Oh, we don't actually swear people in. Oh, I want to be sworn in. And then fake tears about news that we've already shown was a lie. And for those who say, oh, it's bullshit, go watch Justified. (laughs) It's the very same toilet fountain configuration. That's how prisons are. That's how they are. It's expedient. If you're setting up a detention center, you put it all in one spot. You take a shit, you brush your teeth in the same spot. Oh, well, if you don't like that, go back to your own country. And when we show the statistics, show that America is all for border security. America does not want catch and release. America does not want to hand all these people free health care because they don't fucking have free health care. I can't believe the media and the Dems are going to hang their hat on this. This is how they're going to think they're going to take down Trump. It's not going to happen. The polls which show that everybody can beat Trump are the same polls that they said with Hillary. They don't poll the middle of the country. They don't poll Latinos who aren't fucking with the program. So that's our upfront. Hate tweets going to cover a bunch of other stuff. So let's get on in to hate tweets. Hate tweet of the day! Joyce, we are covering the world as it exists because everyone here covers Donald Trump, but the world as it should be, we should be covering a president or a White House or a Secretary of Labor who once served as a prosecutor who's saving all their condemnation and fire for the monster in this story, and that's Jeffrey Epstein. Is it stunning to you as a former federal prosecutor that no one's talking about Donald Trump being repulsed by Epstein's alleged conduct? You know, it is so hard, I think, to avoid the comparison between Epstein and Trump. Of course, one is under indictment, the other is not, but there are similar and credible allegations of this kind of conduct. And somehow Epstein becomes a little bit of a marker for Trump here. And Trump's inability to fire Acosta in the face of the way he conducted this investigation is, I think, something that looks very personal to Trump. It's impossible to separate the two. I think we should be clear, one of them is an industrial-scale pedophile and sex trafficker, just a small yeah. distinction. But um, with, uh, with Acosta, I mean, the thing that really I think a lot of people will be horrified about today was the sort of like the world has changed um, almost as if it was like trying to elide this with the Me Too movement. This was sex trafficking and pedophilia at an industrial scale. Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like this is sort of being glossed over. And the next step for this reporting, I mean, the, the, Miami Herald did God's work here right. bringing this back because there was a miscarriage of justice under Acosta. And the next step for reporters is to carefully and methodically and meticulously unmask 
every last person who covered for him, who enabled Epstein, who allowed this to happen, who knew about it. And there should be a lot of people around this country right now in the elite circles who are very scared right Well, let's, now. let's start right there, because what Julie Brown does report on, and something that Acosta was asked about, was Jay Lefkowitz, who was one of Epstein's lawyers. He's my interest of disclosure, my former colleague in the Bush White House. He was an attorney at Kirkland and Ellis. He's the individual that Acosta described meeting right. with at a hotel 70 miles from the U.S. Attorney's Office. He played it off as though he had a speech there. He may or may not have. But, I mean, if, if we're going back to Julie Brown's heroic reporting, right. and, the, and the prosecutors in New York cited Julie Brown's reporting, right. so that's not us as other, as other people in the media landscape holding her up. Federal prosecutors have now held her up. I mean, why should Acosta stand in that room and get any credit, even from Trump, for covering for someone who, as you said, ran an well, industrial-scale pedophilia well, ring? Well, of course he shouldn't. I don't, I so where, so where I mean, what, what has the White House had to say today? Um, they have been pretty quiet on this because, of course, there's a complication there because Donald Trump has a long history of being friends with um, Jeffrey Epstein and is on the record saying he's a terrific guy in an well, interview. All the more reason Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, these the flights, story. I mean... I thought, I thought it was uh, pretty curious that Bill Clinton used the excuse of his staff being around, as if that's ever been a barrier. I mean, th this, is, this story has a long way to go, and it's now the concentric circles around Epstein that are going to be investigated. Yeah. And Annie Carney has something to go ahead. No, I, mean, I guess that would be a reason why this White House would want to distance itself from this story as quickly and decisively as of possible. Course. Does the White House want to have this be an ongoing story about their administration? Because, you know, as the blast radius of this story, you know, expa expands, Donald Trump is there. And th this will bring back some of the worst moments of his campaign. It, it, it will track with a lot of the concerns about Donald Trump. Um, and, and as you point out, the Me Too movement was huge. But when you're talking about industrial grade pedophilia, there's not going to be the kind of tribal divide over, over this. So you sure? this is well, we haven't seen it so far. And so the question okay. well, also I mean that we had to comment on the weird time warp that we've fallen in that yeah. we, we now are back at a story where it involves Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. Right. And you don't want to take away so my optimism from before the tribalism that what you're going to get from uh, the, the pro-Trump media is, yeah. why are we not talking about Bill Clinton? Why are we talking about Donald Trump? But here we're, we are sort of in this, trapped in this twilight zone where it's going to be the, the character of Bill Clinton and, and Donald Trump. But I think it's really important. Think about the way that some of those other sex scandals played out. That, you know, uh, Bill Clinton lied about consensual sex or um, Donald Trump's behavior was yeah. just the locker room talk. I want to keep coming back to the point that Jonathan made. You're dealing with industrial strength pedophilia. This cannot be just brushed off. It is not trivial. There's no possible case. There'll be a lot of whataboutism, but nobody's going to brush it off. And we have discussions about what happened in the past, what was. You know, I'm 55, baby. Yeah. So I remember right. all the things that came. And I remember who ran this country. This country was not run by people friendly to us forever yeah. until maybe when John Kennedy came and then we weren't even sure then. Right. So this is not a surprise. What I want to know, mm -hmm. what I want to see you all yeah. explain to us all is what you're going to do yeah. to get this man out of office. Out of That's office. That's right. I'm with you. That, yeah. But I want to know that we yeah. 
are on the same page when it comes to getting that out and that we are going to find the way to bring us back into balance. That's what I want to see, what you're going to do to help. And the bottom line is that anybody in this country that lives in black skin experiences racism and the black experience in this country. That was a view, race Carden with Camille, which brings us, this is from a liberal, this is from the New York Times. Racial politics, Royal Democratic Party. And they break down all the crazy shit that's going on from the Black Caucus to AOC to everything. Because they're just so angry. How angry are they? Nice segue. Seth MacFarlane, dear Democrats, I beg you, more unity, less Twitter. You're all on the same side. If you allow the disease of social media-style outrage to infect congressional process, it's going to be more Trump of 2020. Put the Internet on pause, get in a room and talk. He was excoriated. Torrey is our next tweet. I don't believe there's a lefty bubble. Bubble suggests you're separated from reality. There's no major belief held by the left that experts say is untrue. Many of the right's major beliefs, immigration, climate, guns, race, have most experts saying that's just not true. I was going to make that the tweet of the day. Because that's the difference between the left and right. They truly believe they are the smartest people in the world and everything that they utter is factual. And they still, after 2016, can't understand they live in a bubble. That their opinion is only the coasts. They don't understand that. I do. I understand I live in the South. Christianity is going to be a biggin. Straight marriage is going to be a biggin. Freaking illicit sex, drugs, gonna happen with the fucking meth. But when you're raising your kids, that shit ain't gonna happen. And abortion is gonna be a no-go. They're not gonna be down with abortion to college. Because that's where they are. We've talked about it a million times on the show. Every region of this country, every state's different. If you don't understand that, you don't know America. By no means do I think what I put out in this microphone twice a week is what it is. It's disclaimered. It's my opinion. Doesn't make it right. You can't see that. Then you're like Parker Malloy. Honestly, that was a really cheesy segue. Social media tech companies really need to come out with a statement saying that they see exactly what conservatives are trying to do here. And they're not going to fall for it. They won't, though. Instead, as always, they'll end up creating special rules to give bigots special treatment so as not to hurt their feelings. But even after they do that, the same awful people making the same awful arguments will continue to whine about non-existence bias. There's a reason that if you look at who Jack follows on here, it's who right-winger grifters. This is the type of person Jack is friends with. This guy was also a Trump social media seller. Another perfect tweet was going to be the tweet of the day. Look at that. Don't agree with me? You're a bigot. Michelle Ray, it's been 10 weeks since my Galt's Girl account was hacked. Those 10 weeks are reported to contact everybody and a few others at Twitter. I've gotten zero assistance, and it's still down. It's a 10-year-old account, and it's conservative. Bustle shrieks, fetal personhood laws will lead to incarceration, disability, and death. Not reading it. Yeah. 
that's 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 just what it is. Washington Post perspective. It's time for Congress to take power back from the presidency. My rebuttal. I'm going to be working with Congress where I can to accomplish this, but I'm also going to act on my own uh, if uh, Congress is deadlocked. I've got a pen to take executive actions where Congress won't, and I've got a telephone to rally folks around the country uh, on this mission. It's not what they said then. You know, I, I tweeted this the other day. A bunch of people liked it. The the bar the bar is so low now. I I I worry about the future. I mean, everything this presidency has done, not all of them I supported. Legally challenged. Attacks in the street, attacks on people in garb, politicians and media get in their face, don't let them have a public life, beatings, attacking ICE. The bar is so low, and this bar, Washington Post, was set by Obama. You lauded it. People say, well, Trump does so many executive orders. Who the fuck did he, is he following? Trump just bogarted Obama's shtick. Social media, make America great, branding, and fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. That's pretty much Obama. City of New Orleans starts us off on our next one. Your headline's not factual, and there are multiple inaccuracies in the reporting. Follow authorized city accounts to be up to date. The Washington Post. Anxiety grips New Orleans as residents flee the city, bracing for heavy rains and hurricane from Barry. Scott Walker sums this shit up. What a horrific piece of inaccurate reporting. When national outlets try to get the pulse of a city, residents are not fleeing the city, and there's a small chance of a hurricane force wind. Literally nobody I know is fleeing the city or panicking, nor are they concerned about the wind at all. People are worried about the river and recent rains and slow-moving storm, but everyone seems to be trying to make the best of it. Dear Washington Post, you're drunk. Go home. Most of us in New Orleans are watching the weather report and calmly living our lives. These people in your photo are Airbnbers who haven't got a clue about life in NOLA. Pre-tropical storm. Print a retraction. It brought us into this article. National news coverage of Tropical Storm Barry is its own disaster. They literally bust uh, Al Roker. It rained uh, seven inches in our yesterday, Al, and that rain was pumped out. It's not there anymore. It's critical, folks, of plans and repair, but thankfully the mayor isn't basing the evacuation orders off a picture. And why was this, boys and girls? I mean, it goes through all the way through WAPO and everything. But why? They wanted a Katrina. It's an election year. It's exactly what they did to Trump or um, Bush. George Bush went out in the ocean because he believes in that Jesus stuff. And he said, Katrina, hit them black folk. They want one. I am. I, I understand the Weather Channel. The Weather Channel jerks off twice a day when we got a big storm that's possible. They even had me thinking, well, maybe I need to, you know, get some supplies because that red thing, that's, we're going to have 40-mile-an-hour winds. We might not have power. It was like a fucking spring rainstorm up here. Only got three inches of rain. Big fucking deal. But they wanted it for politics. It fit their agenda. That's all it's about. It's agenda. 
Then you got this piece of shit article. Government first gun buyback event declared a success. Please have paid out $433,000. Buried paragraphs lower, 169 gun owners. Do the math on that. 169, that was it. That's all the gun owners came in. They're playing it off like New Zealand did the best buyback ever. And this is what America needs to do. And blah, 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 blah. Which brings us to this article. Can I have some news with emotion, please? Walter Cronkite unnerved the nation 56 years ago by taking off his glasses. We already know it. Emotion now blanket the media landscape like an infant crib at bed t- bedtime. Google's Shepard Smith emotional and up come nearly 3 million results. Many of them focused on Fox Anchor's recent visceral response to immigrant suffering. Search Rachel Ryan. Or Rachel Maddow, sorry. 1 million offerings. Brooke Baldwin, 2 million. They're not alone. Contemporary culture trusts feelings over facts, rewards heated emotion, tears, or anger, and rejects medium cool. The effect on journalism is unmistakable, and a lot of the blame could be placed on those all-too-common twin devils, television and the Internet. From the earliest day of television, journalists understood the power of the image and the overwhelming objectivity. That's why Cronkite and others worked hard to present the news without emotional cues. No eyebrows, head shaking, wide-eyed incredulity. They presented the, I massacred that word, incredibility. They presented the news simply, expecting that it would counteract the gut-wrenching response all humans have to striking images. Didn't work for long. As television began to overtake newspaper images, turn words, viewing overpowered reading, and the 80s TV news actually became po- profitable, which increased pressure on electronic journalism to highlight emotional images to deliver viewers. Then in this century, the internet blew up. Now photos and videos are available all the time and in all quantities. News organizations feel pressed to do whatever they can to grab viewers' attention in the midst of this staggering clutter of emotional imagery. But emotions could be like an ad- addiction. The only way to hold a viewer's attention is to continually ratchet up the emotional stake. It's not enough to connect passionately to a picture or a video clip. The audience also expects a fierce attachments to news anchors and reporters, and it goes on from there. And there is a, a shred of truth in that. But the problem is, difference between Cronkite and the rest, they didn't let their politics get out. We all knew Cronkite, Brokaw, freaking all of them. Dan, I'm going to lie rather. Brian Williams. We knew they were libs, but they played it on the cuff. It was the ever-presence Republican senator in investigation. It was Senator from South Carolina under investigation. They still played race cards and all that shit. But now we ratchet up, okay, I need the clickbait, because that's all it's about. And I have an agenda. I need to push your agenda. And how do we do that? How do I prove that, I mean? This little soundbite right here. Some more Rappaho. Listen to Chuck Todd. You know he was jerking under the desk. You were talking about the beginning that you see an opportunity here to, to, to preach a message of unity. I think the hardest um, conundrum that a lot of us are in in American politics, whether it's those of us that care about these institutions in this town or otherwise, is that how do you preach unity and at the same time um, you don't want to be near President Trump, and I get that. Mm. Um, how do you do both? 
Hmm. I'm, I'm figuring that out by the day. Um, I think you inspire people. What do you tell a Trump supporter who loves watching you and I, is like, I wish you'd go to the White House? Yeah, I think that I would, you know, try to share our message. Do you, you know, believe that all people are created equal? Do you believe that equal pay um, should be mandated? Do you believe that everyone should have health care? Do you believe that we should treat everyone with respect? I think those are the, the basics of what we're talking about. And I understand... People feel um, upset or uncomfortable. There's, um, I think, some feelings of disrespect about the anthem protest or things that I've said in the past. But ultimately, I think I am here open and honest. I've admitted mistakes. I will continue to do that. I'll continue to be vulnerable and be honest and be open and want to have that conversation because I think Trump's message excludes people that look like me and that are me, of course, but it exclu excludes a lot of people in his base as well. And I think that he's trying to divide um, so he can conquer, not unite so we can all conquer. Anything he could do to change your mind about a visit to the White House? There's like 50 policy issues that we can probably <laughs> reverse and uh, get going. Um, I mean, it would, it would take a tremendous amount. I think I'm, I understand that, that progress is sometimes slow and I'll never close any door um, all the way, but I think it would take more than, than Trump is willing to do. And holding out for a hero, we sure need one. Enter U.S. soccer star and natural-born leader, Megan Rapino. She's chicken soup for your soul, so you won't want to miss this. After the break, a real-life superhero, an icon in her own time, standing up for equal pay, speaking to our better angels, and calling out Donald Trump. A powerful call to action today at the World Cup Victory Parade in New York, courtesy of the legend herself, Megan Rapino. She's been the team's unquestioned leader on and off the field. No one scored more goals than she did in the tournament. But perhaps her most enduring legacy will be the way she stood up for social change when the lights shine the brightest. She's just a born leader. I mean, I mean, you, you cover Washington. You, you've been around Hollywood. I mean, they're just people that had it, and she just has it. Yeah, I mean, you could, yeah. you could. I was watching that uh, rally. You could see her with a political future, right? See her at the Democratic convention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, speaker. Yeah, that surprised me actually. Me neither. Um, and she's also willing. She she doesn't have that flinchy thing oh, no. when asked if she'll get involved in political causes. Well, you go to Washington. I, I saw her on one of the uh, shows last night. Yeah, absolutely, I go to Washington. M MAGA world does not really want to pick a fight with this with this, with this woman. <laughs> I, I mean, so. the, when she called the shot, people were going, you know, you shouldn't be talking about not going to the White House before you win it all. Well, she. Put that pressure on herself, and then she delivers. I mean, she just stands there and she strokes the ball in. And I mean, that's something. I mean, it's she's a remarkable woman. I mean, she's probably she's the coolest woman in America right now. She Mike, Megan Rapino, you make us believe. Now, most of that we expect, right? We've been doing this for three podcasts. But the ending, where you hear people just talking, Caleb Pohl tells you what that was. She didn't even take a half second to look at her fan. I cannot stand her. There's no I in team, but there's one in egomaniac. By the way, isn't football a team sport? Because her and the MSM, you think she's the only player on the team. Another one. Megan Rappenhoe, she really is giving Kaepernick a run for his money for the title of the most hated athlete ever. A young, brown-colored boy. I say brown color, that sounds wrong, but a person of color never looked up. Media ignored. It was viral on Twitter. Wasn't a Twitter moment. U.S. women's soccer team accusing outing star player for Christian beliefs. Yeah, she didn't even make the team. At the time, she was the best player in the country, but she was a Christian. 
We covered it. It resurfaced. Buck Sexton, antagonizing half the country at every opportunity instead of trying to expand audiences. Exactly the kind of strategic thinking one would expect from a team that lasts to a bunch of 14-year-old boys. Agenda. New York PD, they're now, re- they're actually going after the people that put dude chick and they're calling it a hate crime. Then Megan Rapinoe, in her glee of I'm the greatest thing ever in her last three minutes of fame, Rapinoe says, gays better than straight people, curses in front of kids. Following Victor of Netherlands, she shared a photo on Twitter of her and two other gay teammates with the caption, we're already discussed this, she said in the tweet. Science is science, gays rule. As if heterosexuals could not win, it was a continuum of what she told The Guardian. Go gays, you can't win a championship without gays on your team. It's never been done before ever. That's science right there. And then, I used to have a soundbite. I don't have it anymore. Megan Rapinoe, my girlfriend told me, you need to be careful. They're going to ask you to run for president. Boom! Did I not say it? There it is, boys and girls. It'll be a done deal. I mean, everybody else is running for the Democratic Party. Seriously. And, you know, I, I listened to my last podcast, and, you know, I play a lot of sound bites of late because I'm condensed for time. I can't talk as much, but I want to give out, you know, the point. But I want you to think just for a second. Let's Let's put on our thinking caps. Folks, if a athlete under Obama would have got up and said, yeah, I'm not going to go to the White House, but I'd love to see Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Marsha Blackburn, they're good to go. I'll go see them. You think that'd fly? Anybody? She said that numerous times in speeches. So our tweets of the day, don't worry, we're long today, and I'm sick of Megan Rapahoe too. I just got to read two fucking titles. These actually surfaced this week. Not so fast, New York Post, Mishnick disputes claim U.S. women's national team lifted the nation. Breaks it down. She didn't. This team invited scorn, turning off so many who would have normally and naturally fully supported it. Next article from Brad Palumbo, everyone knew his soccer hero, Megan Rapinoe, is actually kind of awful. And that, my friends, sums it up perfectly and is our tweet of the day. We're going to do another music break. The first one was, I, I watched a show we're going to talk about in Light Affair, The Patriot. Didn't like it. Then I loved it by season two because my wife loved it. Well, maybe it's implied that you will like something your wife loves it. There's probably some truth to it. So that's why we did the uh, the Beastie Boys, because they played that. That was their uh, theme song, a Sure Shot. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I like the Beastie Boys. Uh, point of order, I've probably done this before because we probably played them on the show, but I saw them in 85 with Madonna. I had no fucking clue who they were. They had just broke out. And the entire Portland crowd, because this was in Portland, Oregon, downtown, just stood and stared at three dudes running around on a stage screaming at you. I mean, it was just, that was so new, nobody was into it. Well, anyway, then 
I've been watching Justified, as we talked about, and I pulled out my old Allison Krauss. So today's music break is going to be Alice Krauss, Union Station, the boy who went whole corn, and we're come on into military corner. That's the one and only Jerry Douglas, everybody.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Trying to get crazy with this thing. Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Amy McGrath is off to a very rocky start in what was already an uphill race against the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Just days into her campaign, McGrath is apologizing for a flip-flop flip on a question any decent Senate candidate should have been prepared for. Would you have voted to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court? McGrath told the Louisville Courier-Journal yesterday she probably would have voted to confirm Kavanaugh if she were in the Senate at the time. Then a very quick retreat on Twitter. Upon further reflection and further understanding of his record, I would have voted no. I will make mistakes, the candidate says, and always own up to them. The priority is defeating Mitch McConnell. Today's headlines back home, a campaign nightmare. Here's just the Courier-Journal. Would Amy McGrath have voted Kavanaugh onto Supreme Court? Depends on when you ask her. Uh, uh, there are some things a candidate gets a pass on in the minutia of policy. You're running for Senate against Mitch McConnell you got to have an answer on Brett Kavanaugh. That's kind of campaign 101, right? Yeah, and it, uh, especially if you're running against Mitch McConnell, judges is the thing you're going to want to be talking about. What a disaster. <laughs> this is just a disaster. I'm not sure what was worth being uh, for Kavanaugh or then having to flip so quickly and say you weren't. I think You're not going to raise any national Democratic money if you're for Kavanaugh. Well, she had, and that's her only hope. And she had raised a bunch of money already. Yeah. I mean, Mitch McConnell and his people are ruthless and she was going to have a really hard time anyway with trump on the ballot in kentucky and this kind of mistake they were just rubbing their hands together over there at, uh, they're, not, they're, not just, they're not just ruthless they're sarcastically funny ruthless so uh, this is from team mitch on twitter amy right now um can we put it up there we go um it's a, it's a dog in a laboratory i have no idea what i'm doing i mean they are they're quick and they're, um, yeah, ouch is the right word. Thank you. This whole thing kind of shows how Democrats have to twist themselves into a pretzel to run it in, in a state like Kentucky. I mean, part of Amy McGrath's message is that President Trump won Kentucky by a big margin, and she wants to work with him on things like infrastructure and draining the swamp. And she's painting McConnell as a threat to getting Trump's agenda passed and right. saying she would better work with President Trump. 
None of it really computes here. Uh, but yeah. it's also, you, you've had Chuck Schumer, the Democratic Senate leader, who's had some setbacks in his recruiting, who thought this was a big success. She ran a House race, even a Democratic year she lost, so some people question whether this is a great success. But you have a you know, former Marine fighter pilot, a woman candidate to go against Mitch McConnell. In Kentucky, this in the Courier-Journal, the first from a reporter, Philip Bailey, the first 36 hours of at Amy McGrath's launch have not been a good confidence builder for Kentucky Democrats. Already hearing from several officials and consultants who are saying, and they list two other possible candidates there. Uh, is this a case where Washington thinks it's right? And maybe in a state like Kentucky, people are saying, uh-uh. Well, to see the media Democrat complex in perfect harmony, look no further than the latest joint effort to take down Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Now, this specific case involves NBC and McConnell's new challenger, Amy McGrath. I want to take you back to Monday night. NBC News publishes this absurd story about the majority leader's ancestry. Quote, Senator Mitch McConnell's great-great-grandfathers owned 14 slaves, bringing reparations issue close to home. Well, the suggestion from NBC was that McConnell's opposition to reparations was somehow linked to his family's slave-owning past. Well, fast forward to Tuesday morning. McGrath drops her announcement video helpfully retweeted by NBC News Capitol Hill correspondent Casey Hunt with the note, this is going to be a blockbuster race. Well, it isn't. McGrath doesn't have a real chance. But NBC was determined to do anything to make that happen. MSNBC's Morning Joe, the site of her first interview, big surprise there, was there to help with the fundraising. Now, that's some more Amy McGrath, and as you can hear right now, oh, we're criticizing, but closer to November, she is the most qualified. She fought. Mitch McConnell didn't fight. Then she lied on a rollout video. I'm keeping this in the military corner. I know it's weird, but she's military. Niels Lewinsky, the video applies McConnell never responded, but it appears the letters were sent Tuesday, the same day that McGrath announced her bid for Democratic National a nomination to challenge him. The video implied McConnell never responded, but Bobo announced a Democratic nomination to challenge him. The spokesman for McConnell told a roll, CQ roll call on Friday that the Senator's Louisville office received three of the four letters featured in the video on Thursday that were postmarked on Tuesday. A liberal, Amy McGrath, phony is our brand. She's not doing good. Let's get to the serious shit. U.S. service member killed in Afghanistan. Uh, it was killed in action, but offered no further details, and then it comes out. The Pentagon has identified the soldier who died in Afghanistan on Saturday as SAR Major James G. Ryan SAR Tor, a member of 2nd Battalion, 10th Special Forces. Sartor 40 of Texas was a Special Forces Combat SAR Major on a 7th Combat Deployment. When incredibly sad to learn SAR Major Sartor's passing in Afghanistan, Ryan was a beloved warrior and epitome of quiet professional. He led his soldiers from the front and his presence will be terribly missed. Sartor was killed by enemy small arms fire in Faryab province, Afghanistan. He was born in 78. He joined in 2000, um, the army in 2001. He was assigned to infantrymen with the 3rd Infantry Division. He deployed in Iraq in 2002. He passed SF qualification and joined 10th Special Forces in 2005. He deployed to Iraq as a Green Beret 2006, 7, 9, 10. He later deployed Afghanistan in 17 and 19. His awards include Bronze Star Medal with three Oak Leaf Cluster, 
the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, Joint Service Medal, Army Accommodation Medal, Army Achievement Medal, Special Forces Tab, Ranger Tab, Combat Infantryman Badge, Senior Parachutes Badge, Special Operation Diver Badge, and my favorite badge, the one I still love, the Pathfinder. He was given a Purple Heart and a Bronze Star. God be with his family. That dude is a warrior. House passes $733 billion defense bill, including 3.1% troop raise. There was a lot of garbage came through this. Bid from higher military pay fizzles amid partisan fighting in Congress. I couldn't get to the bottom. The way the article's written by the Army Times, which is, of course, run by Gannett, which is the USA Today, was, oh, it's Republicans' fault. But they were pushing for a higher raise. It didn't come through. Uh, but that means that yours truly and all other vets will get a 1.7, and we'll probably get a 1.7 in our VA disabilities, too. So that's that's pretty good. Um, that's an extra, uh, you know, roll of dip. That works out. Army receives 7.62 millimeter squad marksman rifle as early as next year. Heckler & Coke Defense Incorporated will soon begin delivering thousands of 7.62 squad designated marksman rifles to the Army and give infantry and other close combat units a better chance of penetrating enemy body armor between 5,000 and 6,000 variants of the G-28 rifle, which the Army plans to issue as its new squad-designated mark from the rifle of the SDMR, according to July 12th Hecker Coke news release. Um, let's get into the beans and bullets. This was asked for and like by me, by my unit in Afghanistan. We talked about this. It took five, six years to get ACOGs for people instead of fucking aim points, piece of shit M68s. And we've been talking about getting a long-range rifle. It just took a long time. As a short-term fix, the Army selected the G28 as its M110A1 compact semi-automatic sniper system in 2016 to be used with the service new 7.62 enhanced performance round to give squads more penetrating power. Army relied on the enhanced battle rifle EBR-14, a modernized M14, old weapon, and now they're going to this, and it is a sexy fucking thing. But not as sexy. Air Force newest gunship is officially here to fuck up your day. This is from Task and Purpose. I rarely do Task and Purpose anymore. They turn in the New York Times, but um, this is a good article. The AC-130J Ghost Rider gunship flew its first combat mission in Afghanistan late June, deploying to relieve the AC-130U spooky aircraft following the latest final combat stories. Uh, sorties. An Air Force Special Operations Command spokesman confirmed the war zone on Wednesday. According to the Northwest Florida Daily News, which first reported the news of the combat deployment, the mission took place just days before the June 28th chain of command ceremony. I don't give a fuck. Let's get into it. Uh, official says it's the ultimate battle plane and a bomb truck with guns on it. The Ghost Rider comes with the standard 105mm cannon and additional 30mm GAU-23 Alpha cannon, along with wing pylons designed for both GBU-39B small diameter bombs and Hellfires. The 30mm cannon is particularly almost like a sniper rifle. It's the most precise. It can pretty much hit first shot, first kill. Then first so commander... Colonel Tom Polanski told Military.com back in 2017, adding the Ghost Rider is going to be the most lethal and the most loiter time, probably the most requested weapon system for ground forces. The 30mm cannon, full rate of fire, 200 rounds of mimic, causing the cannon to shake so violently that the fire control system automatically safeguard kicks in, forcing the operator again to recalibrate the gun. Um, and they've upgrade, upgraded that. This thing is like the next level. And I won't go into it. Did a whole show on it back in the day. 
Man, Spectre is the motherfucker. Bronze Star awarded to soldier who dumped mortars on ISIS fighters in Nagar. Bronze Star with Val was awarded Thursday to a forklift soldier who lobbed, lobbed mortars for exposed ground onto an ISIS fighting position attempting to target wounded friendlies during a flight in eastern Afghanistan two years ago. On August 16, 2017, Special Colin Jackson was serving a, as an uplift soldier for an Army Special Forces team operating alongside Afghan commandos from the 8th Special Operations Kandak. The troops were working in the Mohammed Valley. They came on this attack. He lobbed un, under heavy fire, and he got a BSMV. Good for the eight most useless pieces of gear ever at issue ends our military corner. And it goes a little something like this. Mosquito Nets, Vietnam one private in the Army who was deployed to an aircraft maintenance detachment in Vietnam mentions using the mosquito net diligently just as he was trained, except when the base was attacked, he stumbled in the dark looking for zippers, nearly getting himself killed in the process. He, like many of Vietnam, never used a mosquito net again. The ones we got issued in Alaska, and I ain't gonna lie, it's the only time I ever used a mosquito net. Because they will literally pick you up. They, they will sling load you, which is attaching uh, ropes or big, heavy, freaking ropes. Uh, so they're called sling, sling, sling legs. Um, to vehicles and put them on a helicopter. Those mosquitoes will literally pick you up. They're just unbelievably huge. But ours didn't have a zipper. You tucked it underneath you. I love the fucking thing. Two, Army Cold Weather Mask. Fucking horrible. Their line. Are you in bondage? Because that's what it feels like. Black berets. Totally agree. That was the dumbest thing the Army ever did. You can't give somebody a hat and make them elite. Sun wind dust goggles. Sweet Lord Jesus, I never used them. I never used them. I just, I just sucked it up when the helicopter flew off and I ate fucking seven pounds of sand. I just wasn't putting those things on. They make your eyes sweat. And eyes don't sweat. But they do with those goggles. NBC gear. For the Navy, black leather gloves, gloves with wool inserts. You know, I disagree. I still use wool inserts fishing. I have black ones. They were so fucking, they can get wet, keep you warm. I liked them. M65 field jacket, I've only wore it once. And that was in uh, 1989 uh, to 90. I had a first song was into them motherfuckers. So instead of wearing Gore-Tex in the cold, we had to wear that shit in Fort Sill. It was horrible. It's embarrassing. But I found one the other day. Yeah. And all the bells and whistles. When I was a drill sergeant, we were supposed to wear them, but I never did. And lastly, load-bearing equipment. I, you know, I didn't like the LBE. I liked the old ones with the dual straps. thought that was comfortable. But I don't think with as much shit as we carried on our LBEs, they were not designed for a butt pack with 800 pounds in it, two canteens, Fucking two mag pouch full of shit and your cool pouch. I had an M249 saw pouch that was, you know, not the nut sack, but it was supposed to hold a cartridge. And that thing was full of all sorts of doodads. My ground commander pointer, my my uh, GPS. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter what you wear. It's not going to work. Which brings us to our college crazy. University of Florida undocu-peers training. People can come out as illegal aliens. Oh, live your truth. University of Florida has hosted several sensitivity trainings suggesting that students can come out as illegal aliens and illegal aliens can apply to school as international students. 
The title Undocupineer, the training aims to educate the UF community on the history, policies, and current challenges impacting students with vulnerable immigration status. Oh, it's a vulnerable immigration status. Not illegal. Vulnerable. Huge thing. I mean, they even given out uh, becoming an undocumenteer, creating trust, creating a culture of support, uh, becoming an advocate. They get a certificate. It's fantastic. As ICE prepares weekend raids, New Jersey County spends quarter million in taxpayer funds to defend illegals. That was out of school. Gonzaga law professor, Mega Hat is undeniable symbol of white supremacy and hatred. This is Jeffrey Omari made this statement while reflecting on an incident in which students wore the pro-Donald Trump hat to class. In a post with the American Bar Association Journal, Omari was initially uncertain as to whether the unnamed students intended to provoke him with a Mega Hat was simply clueless of how the hat could be seen by a black professor. His shiny red hat was like a siren spewing derogatory racial obscenities at me for the duration of one hour and 15-minute class. From my progressive perspective, as a black man living in this increasingly polarized political climate that is America, MEGA is an undeniable symbol of white supremacy and hatred towards certain non-white groups. You know, that man's probably got two doctorates, and he's a fucking stupid smart guy. Michigan schools sued after discriminating against religious groups. They pushed back. We'll keep in touch with this one. It's Wayne State. UC Berkeley, no whites allowed day. That's a thing. Yeah, that happened. Nobody covered it. Male, and we got two this time. Male student received 725000 from Michigan State after sexual assault allegation. Yeah, they did nothing wrong. She falsely accused two police officers of rape. She was sentenced to just 23 months in jail because she was still a victim, the liberal judge said. Which takes us out of college crazy and into just downright stupid. Beware, Lion King is fantastic. White supremacist, says Washington Post. <laughs> this is a live act. These are actually animals. Well, it was bound to happen. One of the woke writers the Washington Post found something political to nitpick about Disney's remake of Lion King. Rather than let everyone enjoy one of the childhood's greatest classic, Dan Hasselforce, if you got a half hyphen name, you're a douchebag, tried to burst the bubble, pointing out how it is fan, fa, fascinistic story. Sorry, I read that wrong. I thought I said fantastic. And incorporate the white supremacist worldview. Hassler Forrest claimed that the very fact that there is a Lion King is a problem. It means there's a whole strata of animal subjects under his rule, and that is just not okay. On Wednesday, the world's biggest negative Nancy wrote, But as a nostalgic as circle of life may feel to us, this bombastic scene is also a painful reminder of the film's ideological agenda and introduces us to a society where the weak have to learn to worship at the feet of the strong. Do you understand lions kill shit? All animals kill shit. Fuck science. Usually you guys say fuck biology. Now it's fuck science. At least in the Lion King. Okay, he says, sorry, let me get back to it. Passover's got a problem here. Wait till he watches a Nat Geo special on the hierarchy murderous goings on of the animal kingdom. Wait, animal kingdom. 
My word, there's no escape, he continues, saying that the Lion King offers a seductive worldview in which absolute power goes unquestioned and where the weak and vulnerable are fundamentally inferior. Well, I'm sorry. Lions eat shit. So do we. I know, as I saw on a show the other day, it takes so much water that we're probably not going to have in the future, even though the seas are rising, which means they'd be desalinated, which means we'd be fresh full of fucking water pretty soon, because we're going to be underwater, so you say, that it takes like 7 billion gallons of water to feed us a hamburger, and that's horrible. Okay. Aaron Biba then goes, Hold my fucking chai latte. Nat Geographic called me and asked me to write the feminist facts about how the Lion King gets lion pride dynamics all wrong. I happily complied. Lions are maternal. Yeah. Yeah, that was their take. That the women weren't powerful enough. And yeah. Okay. Did Disney make a mistake with live action Lion King? New movie gets 57 with critics. 57. And to show you that it's just not those kind of movies that are fucking trashed. Kumal Najinje, he's a comedy guy. He's going to make a movie, Stuber, which constantly addressed toxic masculinity. We're constantly talking about it, and nobody will go see it. Moving on to our tranny stuff. Biden criticized over use of gendered phrase. Oh, say it's not so. Biden seems caught in a time warp, a relic from decades ago, now forced to endure the social justice mob of the 21st century. We certainly can't feel bad for him since he and the Obama administration helped foment the current outrage culture by encouraging and supporting campus radicals, or at the very least doing nothing to teach them civility and sanity. Biden has always been running afoul of current political correctness, but until recently, he was never held accountable by the same left-wing media that finds racist dog whistles in everything Republicans say. But Biden is now receiving that treatment. Biden, who speaks in a down-to-earth manner, sometimes says, Come on, man! To emphasize a point about something. Years ago, Internet Feminist Scold informed us that saying guys is sexist, and now Internet Scold's sermon, Come on, man! is also sexist. Last week, New York Times opinion columnist Charles Blow took Biden to task for his broiness writing that Biden used a rhetorical device that men often use among themselves in the locker room and barbershop to recognize, register, and reinforce masculinity. Last Saturday, the Washington Post ran an entire article about Biden's use of the phrase, claiming that it can quickly signal dismissive annoyance, sarcasm, or certain willingness to use words that seem gendered, none of which are sure winners for the candidate trying to attract voters. At least the Post noted that almost everyone except the most outraged few here when Biden say, come on, man, that he is folksy. Yeah, them and the New York Times were busy because the next article, next article, New York Times critic hit Dave Chappelle, cruel joke on transgenders. Dave Chappelle on Broadway, the joke is getting old. The comic hasn't adjusted the material for the setting. He's still defending wealthy, famous peers and joking about transgender targets. After he was criticized for mocking transgender people in two 2017 specials, Chappelle seems to have become fixated on the subject, alternating between lukewarm jokes about his marginalized group and defensive justification for them and even apologies. Got to stop with the trans jokes, he tells himself at one point. Hmm. Well, isn't that sad? Other stupid articles. Washington Post promotes maggots as food of the future. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're going to eat maggots. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're doing. 
Yes. To more tranny stuff, this guy got in trouble. Madeline Kearns published a piece in the Wall Street Journal about transgender athletes essentially ruining sports like women's track and field by dominating every bet. My Wall Street Journal debut on Extraordinary Brave Young Woman. She writes, The results speak for themselves since Connecticut's Athletic Conference enacted its liberal gender identity policy. Two men have won 15 women's state championships titles that were held by 10 different Connecticut girls. It's just really frustrating and heartbreaking because we all train extremely hard and blah, blah, blah. We know that. But this is what happens. I get that the Wall Street Journal opinion leans conservative, but letting a bigoted writer repeatedly call transgender women men crosses a line. This propagation of societal stigma is exactly what drives adverse mental health outcomes. There you go. Yeah. Because he said to that dude that he's a dude and the dude knows he's a dude because he can't win as a dude. So he's winning as a woman. Yeah, he's going to kill himself. So calling males men is an insult in 2019. Men are great. The only point here is that they shouldn't compete against women, and the rest of the world just stuck it to them. Yeah, she did too. Yeah. The media is going to continue on with this shit, but they're not going to continue on with this article, and I don't have time to read it today, but it's I'm going to do excerpts from it because it's really, really good. Really good. I was America's first non-binary person. It was all a sham. You can research it under Jamie Shupe, S-H-U-P-E. And basically, he wrote for the New York Times and said all this shit, and then after it was all done, he's back to being a dude. Three years into my gender change from male to female, I looked hard in the mirror one day than I, when I did. The facade of femininity and womanhood crumbled. Despite having taken and being injected with every hormone and antigen drogen concoction in the VA medical arsenal. I didn't look like a female. People on the street agreed. Their harsh stares reflected the reality because my fraudulent existence as a woman. Biological sex is immutable. It took three years for that reality to set in with me. Yeah. He got celebrity status and now nobody knows who he is. And I found that on a conservative site because nobody wants to carry the article. He got articles in the New York Times when he was saying, all you fucking transphobe need to shut your hole. Now, they don't want to talk to him. Hmm. Here's some more uh, stupid shit. (laughs) This whole section's stupid shit. Miley Cyrus vows to not have children until climate change is solved and fish are in the water. She wants... She doesn't want any children to be able to live on Earth with fish in the water. That's what it says. Fish are in the water, and nobody wants you to reproduce, Miley Cyrus. You're a fucking freak. Jesus. But that one is just expected, because she's a fucking moron. This one just cracks me the fuck up. Watching porn produces as much carbon dioxide emission as whole countries. This is real. Digital technology has an invisible environmental impact, but researchers suggest it might actually be very, very sizable. So you better get your hands off your laptop if you don't want to be a climate criminal. Watching adult film accounts for over 4% of all carbon dioxide emissions associated with digital technologies, says a new study. Climate crisis, the unsustainable use of online video. 
report published by French think tank The Shift Project, highlights that pornography makes up 27% of all videos viewed online. I would have thought that was higher. Furthermore, online videos, one of the most common forms of online entertainment, are said to generate 60% of world traffic, data traffic, based on 2018 estimates. In other words, it means that they account for 300 million tons of CO2 emission per year, resulting from energy consumption, with porn emitting just under 100 million tons, nearly as much as Belgium and the Kuwait. The Kuwait. Don't know why I said it that way. They write, from the standpoint of climate change and other planetary boundaries, it's not a question of being for or against pornography, telemedia, Netflix, or emails. The challenge is to avoid a use deemed precious for being impaired by the excessive consumption of another use deemed less essential. This makes it a societal choice to be arbiter collectively to avoid the imposition of constraints on our uses against our will and our expenses. Hmm. That is some moon bat shit. I mean, if you did the study with people jerking the fuck off while they're watching the fucking video and they're exhaling carbon dioxide, I'd somehow say this actually made some sense. About as much sense as cow farts. You fucking people. Then, while they're saying stop watching porn because you're killing the planet, teen watch porn for pointers on youth sex drama Euphoria. In the July 17th episode, Bonnie and Clyde focused primarily on high schooler Maddie and her relationship with Nate. Maddie and Nate have been on again, off again. I don't give a fuck. They watch porn and learn how to do porn. And this is a teenage show. Good job, HBO. By the way, now that Games of Thrones is over and I already bought Game of Thrones, so I have all the seasons, I've shut off all of it. Yeah, I don't have anything. I got the uh, the DirecTV extra movie pack for five bucks a month and it has Smithsonian. I gotta admit I've been geeking out on the Smithsonian network. Yeah, you learn a lot on that shit. Teen violin prodigy is latest casualty of Calvin Klein drug craze. Yeah, that's a thing. I don't know about it. A lethal cocktail of drugs known as Calvin Klein has swept the nightclub scene and reports that a 17-year-old London-born violin prodigy died for the dangerous combination. Experts warn that Calvin Klein binges, which involves ketamine and cocaine, yeah, I said that, wreak havoc on the brain's chemical system and can greatly impair overall brain function, according to a site dedicated to treating ketamine substance abuse. So I guess they're in the club, and they double up on that shit, and she popped like a tech. Hmm. Wow. That's rough. To our crazy crime, man beaten to death after stealing car with kids inside. Good for these people. A car thief who stole a vehicle with children inside was chased down and beaten to death by kid's father and other bystanders Thursday night. Philadelphia police said violent ordeal began between around 9 a.m. or excuse me, 9 p.m. when a 25-year-old woman parked her Hyundai sedan outside a pizza shop on 29th and Dolphin. The woman left her three children inside the running car. She's an idiot. And she went inside to visit. Dude jumped in and grabbed it. Husband found him. Tire crowd beat the shit out of him. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Coney Island Beach closed off. Badly decomposing human remains found in the water. That sounds like a fucking Prano episode. Driver cited for using 30-can beer pack as toddler seat. No. 
It's not the South. It was oh Canada. I mean, what the fuck, Chuck? I mean, I like Moosehead beer, bro, but you can't use it as a booster seat. Mom, this one is fucking crazy shit I've ever read. I clicked it off Drudge, and I, I didn't think it, I thought it was a joke. Mom charged after driving with kids inside inflatable pool on the roof of an Audi. <laughs> According to Dixon Police Department, officers were alerted and later observed an Audi Q5 driving west on Illinois Route 2 shortly after 3 p.m. Tuesday with a blue inflatable pool on the roof of two juveniles inside the pool. Officers made contact with the driver, 49-year-old Jennifer A. Janice Yeager, if you got a fucking life and name, you're a douchebag, who said she and her daughters ride inside the empty pool to hold it down on the drive home. So your kids are paperweights. Good for you. That's momming. And understand all those crazy things, I didn't intentionally look for it. Those are all blue states. Usually all you get is dude in Florida, Tennessee man humps a panda. But that's that was the news for the day. So we're going to move into our lighter fare, and we're going to do it with a soundbite. This is a song, which is critical to the, the theme of the show, from the Amazon series, Patron. Really funny. Enjoy. begins today Today I start to make my way to a friend's gun The Iranians They get fouled Cause he's a dignitary They get all the guns that they can't carry And there's almost no other way To get a gun today In France Doesn't wander in and snag a random name 
Find a guy then fuck him up for his gun Which is why I'm climbing up To the very top In France It occurred to security Someone would jump from the roof to the balcony Cause it's 40 feet And you would have to be Pretty fucking crazy All just educated on how to cross The Ventasner Meridian So you'd have a chance to land And just be unconscious funny show it's about a spy and he looks like he's a total fuck up but the ending of season two you kind of see everything is for the reason but within it he writes music and it's usually part of it and i literally was laughing at times so hard i was crying because uh, they would do all this sh- like i gotta get the, the gun and i mean it's just god dude good show if you haven't watched it it's better than handmaids and, and that's how i found it i look for shows or reviews for season two of Handmaids, which has been fucking stupid as fuck. It defies reason. All these people get their tongues cut out and all this crazy shit, but not June. She just acts like a fucking fool and gets away with it, which, you know, made a lot of critics go, this is a fucking stupid show and the seasons are bad and blah, blah, blah. Well, this was referred by a liberal, of all things, that this was a better show. Better written, so give it a go. The next thing is a viral video that came out of Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not gonna play it all, but people just started singing. Times in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we all that pain. Always tomorrow Lean on me When you're not strong I'll be your friend I'll help you carry on oh, It won't be long Cause I'm gonna need Somebody to lean on so just call on Pretty doggone cool. Our last, or not last, because we've got two or three. What do we got? We got one, two, three. Yeah, three. 
next one is from Zach in Tennessee. My son. I like my whiskey like I like my women. 15-year-old and mixed with Coke. And it's got a picture of Bill Clinton. I thought that was pretty much apropos. I'm not covering that shit. Both parties are linked to this jackass, but he's mostly a liberal donor. And, um, wow, the media jumped all over that shit, too. Federal musket brings our Latinx funny. As we recall back, AOC doesn't like Amazon. She fucked New York out of millions of dollars in revenue. So on Prime Day, which for the record sucked, it wasn't it wasn't anything good. Um, I don't need a TV for a hundred dollars. I mean that was good, but I don't need any more TVs. So it's kind of disappointed. He decided to send pictures to AOC of actual sale items. First, extra large birdcage, fifty percent off. A toilet, forty percent off. Earplugs. 20% off, and somebody photoshopped her fake crying by a fence in front of the cage. And I thought, you know what? That's some funny shit. And then our last one. This is real. Half a million people signed up to Storm Area 51. Where do they show up? Uh, this is a real thing. Should everything go according to plan, more than half a million strangers will gather in a remote Nevada town in mid-September, united by a common goal. Raid Area 51 in the wee hours of the morning using a strength in numbers approach to reveal any extraterrestrial treasure trashed, strashed within the notorious clandestine government base. Or put more simply, let's see them aliens. By Friday evening, more than 540,000 people from around the world have signed up to attend the joke Facebook event. Storm Area 51, they can't stop, stop us all. And just as many had indicated they were interested. Planned for September 20th in Armagosa Valley, an hour's drive away from Las Vegas. The event page is currently filled with thousands of posts theorizing the best way to break into the top-secret facility. We will all meet up at the Area 51 Alien Center tourist attraction and coordinate our entry, reads a brief description of the event, which was created by popular video game steamer, or streamer, Smiley Cun. Yeah, that's his name. If we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. The latter part of the description reference anime ninja Naruto Uzumaki, whose notorious head-forward arms-behind-the-back running technique has led some to believe it makes them run faster. And then the article just devolves from there. So it'll be interesting to see if these jokers do it. The last guy that tried it got shot in the face and he died. Just because Independence Day said it. It... Doesn't make it so, folks. Which brings us to This Is America. This is a real thing. This is from Joy Villa. Once you remember, she's black. And a white, middle-aged woman in an airport decided it was okay to do this. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, though. Don't catch you slipping, though. Look what I'm whipping, though. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Hey. What was that you said to me? 
Oh, so what did you call me? I said it. I said that's gross. Trump is gross. So. You said you looked at me and said I was gross. No, I said that's gross. That's, that's gross. you didn't say that. You said gross. You looked right in my face and said gross. Yeah, I meant I wasn't wearing this for you. Calling a woman gross in a public place is not okay. You can disagree with someone's politics. No, it's actually yours. You're the one who attacked me and called me gross. I said this. You're you didn't Trump say that. Things. I had to walk up and ask you again. You looked I at me and said you're gross. I didn't That's, say you're gross. I hope I you learned some gross. manners because you're not I a young gross. little person anymore. You're, you're a woman who's a grown adult and that's not okay. Yeah, I know. To call somebody gross in a public place. It's, it's not polite. I called your Until I asked, I, all I heard was gross. It's not okay. So this would go through the cervix and into the uterus, and then we create suction to remove pregnancy tissue. And this doesn't work as well as it would with a papaya, but this is what we would use for about an eight-week pregnancy, so for about two months, and you get a wee little uh, watermelon fetus, and that's literally the whole she day. And this is why we fight to make sure that advanced practice clinicians can, can provide early abortion care, because it is not surgery. It is Basic healthcare is easy to do, it is safe, and we need more providers. It's well within the scope of practice for nurse practitioners, PAs, family practice doctors who don't need to be a board certified for BGYN. It is also the identical care for managing a miscarriage. So when we restrict access to abortion care and abortion training, we are also preventing clinicians from understanding how to appropriately care for people who are losing pregnancies naturally. So. This is really important. Thank you for uh, watching our motion. Thank you. You guys, thank you so much. Her exact tweet, this woman just called me gross in public. Yeah, I was wearing a real Donald Trump pin. Of course, it's okay to publicly insult and harass persons of color. They're conservatives. Well done. Extremist alert. Well done. True progress. She's right. Philip Wiegman brings us our other This Is America. Thank you for watching our abortion. A panel moderated by Liz Winstead at Netroots Nation demonstrated terminating an early pregnancy with a watermelon. That was the second part of your soundbite. The fetishization and celebration of abortion by those on the left is truly disgusting. It's not surgery. It's easy to do. Another one, I'm glad liberal activists in this video are now trying to get people who are not physicians to be able to do abortion so that women are killed from a septical performed abortion. Let's have at-home abortion kits while we're at it. So many smiles, so much applause. It's just like watermelon. Yay. Yeah. They're fucking sick. They're just sick people, man. They, they cannot understand... That they're just wrong. And our last, this is America, this is the Washington Post. Anna Applebaum. Trump says four liberal congresswomen should go back to the crime-infested places from which they came from. Her tweet, I say we should send Ivanka back to Czech Republic and Melania back to Slovenia. With apologies to Svek, Czech, and Slovenia followers, many of whom I'm gathering don't want them, and yes, I mean Ivanka, not her mother. Ivana was Czech, so Ivanka is Czech too. 
by her father's logic and should go back to the Czech Republic where she belongs and stop trying to pretend to be an American. She's a writer at the Washington Post. That was all over the subject I really didn't cover, which goes like this. Exact tweet. Matt Woking sent it. Anyone who says the president told members of Congress to go back to where they came from is lying. He told them, then come back and show us how it's done. Exact tweet. So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from other countries whose governments are complete and total catastrophe, the worst and most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have functioning governments, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it's to be done. These places need your help. Help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. This was a Twitter moment. President Trump tells progressive Democrat congresswomen to go back to the country they came from. And that's not what he said. That sums up this week. It sums it up. Or what is it? Like five days since our last podcast. Is it stupid? Sure. Should you do it as a president? Fuck no. But it's not what he said. And they take that smidget, kind of like the Mexicans are all rapists and murderers, which he never said, and they've ran with that shit so bad, I didn't even play the sound bites. Oh yeah, there's sound bites. There's plenty of sound bites. I didn't play it. I'm not covering it. It's a fucking non-issue. It's not what he said. But if you took a survey of the majority of Americans and Democrats now, they would say AOC, Tlaib, and Omar need to go the fuck away and come back after 2020. Peggy Noonan's right. They are just one constant recruiting fucking soundbite for freaking people to vote for Trump. They're completely out of control. Sorry, I swallowed a piece of Copenhagen and <clears throat> didn't want to start hacking on, on the podcast. But, yeah, it's a non-story. So. so this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends and send comments about the track by emailing foppodcast at gmail.com. Fop podcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at Fop Podcast and the Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast will be Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. 21 July, Year of the Lord, 2019. I'd give a shout out once again for Zach in Tennessee and Matt in Oregon, my bro bro. He sent me once again uh, the links to the Colorado stuff, but it was a rare time that I was ahead of Matt. Matt's actually should be doing this show. He's on top of shit more than I am. Um, cause I had seen that the first thing in the morning. I, I have a hard time sleeping now cause I'm still with the wife who, you know, she's now sick. Poor thing. Got a cold and, um, moves a lot. And so I'd woke up at like a four 30 and, and seen it that day. But I thank you both for contributing to the show. I also thank everybody for listening. A lot of listens. Every time I tune in, there's like another 50, 60 listens just on the SoundCloud that I can track, which means there's more elsewhere. 
Um, and we definitely had an increase of per episode listens. So I, I hope you all enjoying it. Once again, use FOP podcast at gmail if you want to hear something or if you just want to tell me i'm a fucking bigoted piece of shit i'll read it i got a soundbite for it it's mail motherfucker remember that one there used to be a notification sounds back in the day um <clears throat> i got that and i've read emails on the on the air and you will get emailed and i are singled out and i will not say you're a piece of shit if you call me a piece of shit i'll just say hey dude in this place said i'm a piece of shit okay interact with the show Make sure you stay cool and dry. Still a lot of rain where I'm at. Uh, we don't have any flooding, but it's still rainy and it's hotter than shit. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. Spend some time with your family. Turn off the TV, phone, iPad, computer. Come on. It's a short ride, folks. And make sure you tune in Sunday for the next exciting episode of Flower Politic Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.